welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. Uh, we do another podcast called Sneaky Dragon. That's true. And formerly, we did a podcast called Completely Beatles. Yes. This, all right, I've got your I'm backup. agreeing with you. You're agreeing with me? Good. I'm 100% behind you. Fantastic. All right, uh, and much like that, in that podcast, we went through every Beatles album. and uh, Chronologically. Described, chronologically, described their history, got into our opinions and whatnot. And we're going to attempt to do the same thing with uh, the Tintin comics. Will yes. you call them comics? Graphic novels? I don't like the term graphic novel, so, so you I'll just say would com- call I would, comics? Yeah. I think that's the best term. Sounds good. All right, let's give you a little bit of uh, our background here, our perspective on this. Sure. So um, you are a fan of Hergé. Oh, yeah, longtime fan. Longtime fan. And uh, I have uh, actually never made it through until today, uh, not today, uh, but until uh, this week, uh, an entire Tintin book. When I was a kid, I used to see them in the library. I'd yes. pick them up, I'd read them, read a couple of pages, go, not for me, put them back, <laughs> pick up an asterisk, yeah. and, uh, and, and read that. Sure. And uh, our backgrounds, uh, as far as comics are concerned, uh, both of us in the 90s used to do uh, our own sort of self-published mini-comics. Yes. Uh, I've, since that time, I've made a living doing comics. Uh, I write the Simpsons and Futurama comics. Yes, you do. And uh, there we go. So that is, but again, I have never actually cracked these books. So I'm curious to find out what's what's up. Yeah, I guess I can, well, it's kind of... Interesting because yeah, I come. I think I come to comics from a different place than you do in a way because I am not a superhero guy. Oh, that's right. And I when did you mention, were, I did, I did kind of fall into comics uh, when I was about nine. Yeah, you know, the Marvel comics became mm-hmm. a big fan of those. Then went into you know, I like things like uh, Swamp Thing, Alan Moore's work. Went from there, and I've yeah. always liked a mix uh, since sure. that time. Sure, and I, and I would would be slightly different in that I never I never liked superhero comics. I read Richie Rich. As a kid, I read Archie, I know, and then I read Mad Magazine, of course, and things like that. But, you know, then when you kind of grow out of Richie Rich and you grow out of Archie, you're looking for something new. And I guess I probably discovered both Asterix and Tintin about the same time, which was, you know, when I was going into grade eight, so maybe 13 years old, discovered both of them. At your library? One was at our school library. The Asterix was at our school library, and Tintin was at the public library. And I don't know why they were divided that way. I don't know what made one acceptable in one place and not the other. But, uh, and I do, I know I always loved Asterix and I loved that whole style of French art partic- from that time period, the 50s, 60s, the kind of golden age of Belgian, Franco-Belgian comics. And and when I discovered Tintin, you know, I just it just blew my mind how great it was. And I've read them many times. Now, do you remember what your first Tintin was? It was... Uh, I'd have to look at the back, and let me just take a quick... Because I can tell you my first one. It was this one. It was this one, okay. So there, that's that's for comparison purposes. My first one, I think, and this is a long time ago, so I think it was the Red Sea Sharks. All right. So a, a bit of a later one, but uh, it's still... Yeah. Just something to note for when we actually uh, get get mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we um, I grew up in uh, Montreal, and so we had Tintin, but we had it, I believe we had it in French. You sure. know, I believe uh, there was that, which, you know, back then I could read French a little bit better. But for some, yeah, again, Asterix just uh, grabbed me more. Maybe it was, you know, they were punching Romans and sending <laughs> them flying out of their shoes. Yeah. And it uh, has superhero elements. So if you're looking for that in a comic, then you're going to find Though it in there is Asterix. no shortage of action in a Tintin book. It's true enough. That guy gets knocked out a lot. There's a lot of fighting. <laughs> there's a lot of blowing stuff up. I, 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 and again, I have not read the other ones yet. Yeah. But I'm going to assume never more so than in this issue we're talking about today. Yes. I cannot see any future Tintin to be as action-packed 
as uh, The Adventures of Tintin. I'm going to say the full title. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin, reporter for Le Petit Vantian uh, in the land of the Soviets. Yeah. It's action, action, action. It's a lot of action. Yeah. Okay. And you feel, you can really feel that it's someone's first time uh, doing what they're doing. Because it has that magic of exploration. The excitement, uh, the kind of exhilaration of what's going on, and just a kind of seat of your pants uh, story. Well, it also kind of feels storytelling. Like, it feels like the kind of story where I'm never going to get to do this again, so I'm going to do everything that I ever wanted to do. Yeah. Like any name a vehicle that existed in the 30s. Did you name one? It's in this. Yeah. And, and it blows up. <laughs> he rides it and it blows up. Something happens. Except for the horse. No, the horse is fine. The horse They're actually <laughs> relatively kind to animals in this. <laughs> in this um, one, yeah. Now, uh, did you have any background on this uh, on this particular uh, issue, or? Well, I think we could talk about just a little bit. I don't want to go all the way back to um, Erge's childhood, but just to talk about kind of what led to to the point of him doing Tintin. Um, now, what's interesting about Erge was uh, I'm going to go back a little bit. Was that he was he was a scout. Uh, it was something that he kind of came into when he was younger. At first, he was in kind of like a, a generic scouts uh, group. And then he joined a Catholic uh, scouts, the St. Boniface, or Boniface, I don't know how you want to say that. St. Boniface. We're going to be mispronouncing yeah, a lot of French Yeah, a lot of French, French is going to go over our heads here. We are, both, we are both doing this from Canada, so officially we're bilingual. But unofficially, we're not that bilingual. Yeah, unofficially. So please, if you're listening to this and you speak French, Forgive us. Right. We're going to ask you for that for the next couple of episodes. Please, please forgive us. Please forgive us. Because, uh, yeah, we're 4,000 miles away from where French is spoken in Canada. So, um, so yeah, so he was a, a scout and he loved, he loved scouting. So it was a, a central part of his life as a, chi- as a child and as he grew up. Even as a, as a young adult, he still was a part of scouts. And his, his first published art appeared in scouting magazines in Belgium. Mm. So his... Uh, were they gag cartoons? They were more uh, spot, il- spot illustrations and things like that. So, okay. you know, people gathered around a campfire or, you know, like a silhouette of people hiking. Just things like that you that you would need in like a newsletter almost kind of situation. And so his scoutmaster, this guy named René uh, Weberberg, uh, he asked him to um, provide spot illustrations for for a uh, scout magazine called Jamais Assez, Never Enough. And so it was kind of the newsletter for that, for his scouts group. And so when Weberberg was hired later to edit uh, an actual magazine, a Cub Scout magazine called Boy Scout, um, later became the Belgian Boy Scout, um, he brought Tintin along to, to work on the well. And so he started providing uh, images. And this is when he started to try to figure out what he was going to call himself. Because he didn't, he didn't like his name. What was his name? Georges Remy is is his name. Sounds like a pretty good name. To it's me. not a bad name, but in those days, if you're an artist, you had a you had a pseudonym, you had a a brush name. Now, so. someone like about how does this how does this uh, sort of sync up? Because now the big the books that looked the same to me were yeah. Tintin, yep. and then you had Asterix, and then you had sometimes you would have the Smurfs, you yep. would have the or the Strumpf, Strumpf, okay, and 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 he signed his name Peo. Now Peo, was his yeah. name really Peo? No. So was that before or after this? That was a long after. Long after this, yeah. okay, yeah. but part of the tradition of this. The the kind of Spiru kind of group that you're talking about, like the Smurfs are, are more of a 60s thing. Right. But uh, Peo himself and Andre Franquin and those people that kind of made up the Spirou group, like the Dupuis, 
group, they were publishing in the late 40s, 50s, through the 60s and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, Hergé was starting, well, his first, um, so his first published drawing was in 1922. So he's well, well before they were working. So they would yep. have, they would have been more influenced by him than, than what, he, what the, but he was more like, there's a, the uh, Art Nouveau illustrator, Erte. Now, I can't remember what his name is, but his initials were RT. So mm. in French, it would be pronounced Erte. And so that became his, his pen name. And so that was considered like something that you had to do, I guess. And so he, first he just used G Remy. That was his initial signature. And then, so he did that for a couple of years. Then he began signing his name as Jeremy. So he took the, he just took the Jeremy and kind of made it into a name. God, yeah, Jeremy. And that became Jeremiadis for okay. some reason. So it, so like Jeremiah, I don't know what. And then he began just using By his By the way, initials. if anyone out there, okay, we're going to be telling you some, <laughs> what we know. Yeah. If you know stuff that we don't, and you can fill yeah. in any of these blanks, we'll give you like information at the end of the show as to where to write us. Yeah. And we are definitely up for hearing you fill in these blanks. Yes, please do. Yeah. So then he began using the initials GR. Mm -hmm. And he didn't like that either. <laughs> so he finally, he reversed his initials. So instead of being J-R, it became R-J. Mm. R G, and that's where Erge came from. So Erge is just a phonetic spelling of his initials. Okay. The same way that Erte, E R T E, accent grave, I think, uh, is a phonetic spelling of R T. And so that became kind of popular. There's a Joseph Guillen, Guillen, I think his name was. He was another, he was kind of almost the founder of the kind of Spirou school of cartooning. And he called himself Gigé because his initials were J G, so Gigé. Mm. So that was disappointing thing that was popular at the time. I so. wish I had known this when we were both doing our own cartooning. Yes, that's right. You could have been Ibu. That's right. And then, uh, so then in uh, 1926, he actually started to do an actual comic strip in the Boy Scout. And it was called Totor. Uh, their full name was Totor Patrol Leader of the Anatons, or Junebugs. Okay, so this is about an adult uh, patrol, or was it a teenager? It was a teenage, yeah, teenage okay. uh, boy who is lead, he was a patrol leader of this, of a... And uh, so he did, but now when you say that it was a comic strip, it was a comic strip in the European style, because in Europe, it was not very accepted to uh, use word balloons in the, in the comic itself. Usually it was almost like Rupert the Bear, you know, yeah. when you would read those, it would just be like an illustration and underneath would be a description of what was happening. Yeah. Usually it'd be in rhyme. Yeah. yeah. I don't think uh, Hergé did that, but... Uh, and but then he, underneath that would be the full text. That's right. He didn't go that far. It was just, it was just the... The description of what was happening in the text, which he didn't actually like very much. And he was trying to figure out ways around it. And he started to incorporate balloons into the art, but there were balloons that kind of became the famous giant question mark and exclamation mark in, mm. in, uh, tan Tintin comes from that, that early, uh, use of the, you know, trying to incorporate something instead of having saying like, what in the text underneath, you could just have the word balloon or a balloon with a, with a question mark in it. Right. And so he hadn't quite reached the point of putting words into those balloons yet. He would do a little bit of that, but not a lot. Now in North America, they were at that point doing the, mm -hmm. the words in the balloon. That's right. If you looked at a, a daily comic strip at that time. Or an editorial cartoon, they would also do that. Editorial cartoons, I think they more had like arrows pointing at something, right? They, they Greed. Had, they, I, seemed, I seemed to remember they'd mix it up. Yeah, they would. <laughs> and one guy is definitely, he's a fat cat and he's holding a bunch of money and oh, that fat cat. Yeah, yeah. Why so, do we keep electing that guy? Well, I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So uh, he did Totor for quite a long time, actually. He drew it for four years. 
Have so those... even when he was doing Tintin, he was still he was still drawing Totor for a, a little while longer. Now, have those been collected? I don't think so. Have, have you ever seen it? I've seen them? a little bit of the art from them in in books and things. You know, like uh, Art Hergé art books will have you know a selection of his his advertising work and his because he did a lot of advertising work as well as uh, um, when he was. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But sure. um, so then, so in 1925. Again, through René Weberberg, who now is working at this uh, newspaper, a daily paper in, uh, I guess, in Brussels, called, it was called Le Petit, or it's called Le Vingtième, the 20th, meaning the 20th century. And it was a, it was a Catholic daily, and it was very, it was a nationalistic, very Roman Catholic newspaper, uh, and it was run by this man named Father Norbert Wolle, or Wolle, and he uh, was obviously a priest, and but I guess he wasn't really that interested in in being a priest as much as being a journalist because he he was kind of taken and kind of put in control of this newspaper. And now uh, it's a it's kind of an interesting paper. It's very of its time. It's very of the twenties, thirties. It was like I say, it was very nationalistic. Yeah. And nationalism had a particular kind of a association in those days. It was anti-communist, mm-hmm. so anti-leftist. It was against Freemasons. I don't know why Catholics are against Freemasons, <laughs> okay. but it's a long time. It's a long-running feud. And it's a real hat-filled uh, McCoy thing. Yeah, it was critical of politics. Mm-hmm. It did not it was against like parliamentary democracy. It uh, was against the money is king outlook. It uh, was against the advent of mechanization. And basically it was just a post of modernism. Would you general. think it had a Catholic bent to it as well or was that sort Oh of yeah, it was know? a it, it was a it would it would uh, how would you say it, it was it was a way to spread doctrine, you know, it was okay. a way to promote Catholic doctrine as well. So, and so, it also had, like I say, nationalism at that time had a particular connotation, which I think we could call fascism. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of, of the state, particularly of a religious state run, you know, the idea that, you know, it's just kind of, it's basically what it was, a representation to me of the kind of last gasp of of true, like, theocratic Roman Catholicism as it was losing its power as we head into the more secular 20th century, it was this kind of like last paroxysms of an attempt to grasp power or hold on to power that was disappearing. And do you think Hergé was on board with that? Hergé, I don't think he was very political necessarily. I think he was a very naive person. And he was, yeah, he's very young and he's looking yeah, for a job. He's looking for a job. And this is a regular gig, yeah. But it, you cannot underestimate how important Father Wale was to him, okay. despite the fact that he was an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. He wrote books against, you know, the Jewish uh, conspiracy, the the financial conspiracy, of the Jews that, you know, after World War One, that you know, that that used World War One as a way to get rich, and you know, it's, it was a common prejudice at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's horrible now, and it's unfortunate that he's connected to it through this person. But did any of his work at the time reflect that? Um, like we don't see a lot of it, so who knows? Who knows what? Probably, probably not. No, I don't think he. Like I said, I don't think he was that political. There may mm-hmm. have been, and I think as we go through the books, we'll see some of the caricatures he did, yeah. racial caricatures that he did at the time. Now, whether those are racist or just fault, you know, just using uh, common archetypes of the time, mm-hmm. I think there's a difference. Okay, you know, we can, I talk, we can talk about the difference. Sure, when it comes I mean, up to it. that's right. I mean, we could talk about yeah, for sure. We can talk about the difference between like a character like Ebony and the Spirit, mm-hmm. and someone just drawing, a, you know, a completely insulting, stereotypical, you know, insulting comic against 
against mm-hmm. a black person. I mean, there's to me, there's a difference. And I mean, it's become a matter of degrees now, it, how different it is. But and at the time... We, when we get to the Cong- yeah. Congo, I'm sure we'll be talking about For that For sure, one. exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, um, like, the thing to understand at the time is that in the 1930s, you know, there was, in Mexico, thousands and thousands of, of Catholics were being murdered mm-hmm. by the revolutionaries there. In Spain, 8,000 clerics had been killed. So there was a real sense of, of peril to, you know, Catholics. So this was, you know, a reaction, an unfortunate pendulum reaction that goes in the other extreme. And so someone supporting Benito Mussolini because he puts crucifixes in classrooms, mm-hmm. you know, and ignores what he's, other things that he's doing because, you know, he's supporting the church. So because someone's sucking up to the church, he's okay, but, you know, right. it's just an it's, enemy of my enemy. Exactly. It yeah. just becomes a, so, so obviously there's this distasteful element to him, but uh, what, what's important is what he did for Hergé, not only recognizing his talent. So Hergé actually came through René Weberberg. He started there working in the subscriptions department. Like he was just kind of snuck in the back door and he was working in the subscriptions department. And he, but he did come to Wale's attention, but he, then he went off and did a year of national service. So he went and did his military service. And when he came back, Wale promoted him to become a photo engraver and a, to do illustrations and kind of, basically he kind of controlled the art department. He did tons of ads, did, type, did typography. He did all this kind of different stuff. He didn't do any uh, drawings when he was in the military? He did tons of drawings, but just for himself. He, oh, didn't, okay. he wasn't wor- still working. Uh, he, was, he was still doing TOTOR. So d- during all the time he was in the military, he was still okay. doing, uh, doing his TOTOR strips. But uh, he wasn't working for the paper then. It wasn't until he came back that he started doing art for the paper. Gotcha. And then, you know, he was just kind of this jack-of-all-trades. He would do like... Uh, imitation woodcut drawings, you know, to make it look like it had been engraved, you know, like just all kinds of different neat things that he that he had to do just to kind of fill space in the paper to, you know, to add a little bit of uh, fun to what was happening. And, you know, so, and w- so Wally, you know, he took this very, and uh, Erge grew in a very conservative household with very conservative, I think it would be fair to say very boring parents. And he lived a very boring life. His whole life was very dull. And so he came to this, this priest, this man, this this larger than life character, this lover of laughter and fun and bonhomie and you know living life to the fullest, and he took this kind of very narrow minded, very small little boy, and he just kind of said, "No, you're better than this. You know, you can you can do better than where where what what you're dreaming of. You can be better than that." You know, and he brought out his you know brought out his confidence. He he you know made him aware of what he wanted and to go for it, you know, and he really brought, you know, he really made him come out of his shell. And then, you know, and, and to recognize him for what he could do, I mean, he, he took this relatively young man and put him in charge of an entire supplement that would come out every Thursday, which at that time was the school holidays. So every Thursday, the kids had the day off. And so the newspaper published a little supplement called Le Petit Vantien. And so it was designed for children. And Hergé was the editor and writer and artist for it. And so he was in charge of getting the material together for it, as well as providing material. So he started having to fill pages. And so then it was uh, Father Wale, actually, who said to him, what we we want is a boy and his dog who will encompass all the Catholic spiritual values. That's what we want. And so... That's a a big request. (laughs) So Hergé took that. And I think he more encompassed all the scouting values. Yeah, that's I would go with that. Yeah, but that was that was his kind of what he was given as his uh, his brief was to to create this. So he just 
he took um, t- this character. Um, now, I just, want, I just want to go back a little bit because sure. one thing that uh, one of the things that's interesting is when uh, this guy named Leon de Grel was in Mexico reporting on the murders that were going on there by revolutionaries, the Catholics. He would send his he would send his uh, you know his reports back. They would come back in the mail, but he would also send Mexican newspapers with them so they could see the the, the headlines that were going on there. But what interested Erge was he discovered all these American comics which he'd never seen before, uh, in including Bring Up Father, mm-hmm. Crazy Cat, The Cast and Jammer Kids. Those are the ones that he really liked, and that's where he started to see word balloons being used oh, to okay. to carry the text. And as I said, when I first looked at uh, In the Land of the Soviets. I, it looked like bringing up father to me. Yeah, like I, and I went that. I know this is a weird one. Clearly, this isn't an influence, but it looks like him. Oh, it was an influence. Oh well, then yes. That, <laughs> what I meant by that was, of course, I saw the influence that uh, bringing up. Particularly father. the noses. He loved mm-hmm. the oval noses that uh, McManus drew, mm-hmm. and so he pretty much took whole characters out of of uh, bringing up father and put them right into yeah. right into Tintin. I mean, at that age, I mean, he's at an age where imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, mm-hmm. and he was also having to produce a lot of material, so. A little bit of imitation is, is yeah. Okay. I see Jigs getting beat up a lot in this uh, in this book. So yeah, so it was actually so the very first published appearance of Tintin was January the tenth, nineteen thirty, and that was the beginning, the very first page of uh, Tintin in the land of the Soviets. Now, uh, when they were published, how many pages would be published? It was two two every Thursday. Two every Thursday. Yeah. Okay. Two pages every Thursday. He was also doing other strips as well. When he started, what's interesting was when he first started Le Petit Ventiam, he actually didn't illustrate his own stories at first. He were doing these uh, stories called The Adventures of Flip, Nanesse, Poussette, and Cochonnet, which is enough people in one mm-hmm. title. But he was just the illustrator. The text was written by some guy who was a sports editor at, at uh, the Ventiam. And so and Hergé hated it. He thought it was dumb and boring. He did not enjoy it at all. And when he, he did it for 10 weeks, and that was the end of it. Like He just finished it because the father wanted him to. And so he did what he needed to do for dad. And then... He just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I can do it myself. I mean, I've done Totor. Mm-hmm. I can make my own scenarios up, and I can write better than this guy. And so he just, that became like a lifetime for him was he would not work with, he would not work with collaborators in a subservient position. He did have collaborators when he was working on Tintin. He had collaborators, obviously, but he didn't, he was the, had the final say at what went into the books, you know. Um so yeah, so he did that for a little while. So then he started doing Tintin. So Tintin was actually des- originally designed as a brother to Totor. He was going to be the younger oh, brother okay. in the Totor strips. But when the father gave him this, you know, requested that he start doing the strip, he's, he said, well, this is a pretty good design. And I like, because he had the little quiff and he liked that because he, he wanted something that was distinctive. So when you saw a silhouette of him, you would recognize him. That's the uh, Matt Groening thing. Is that right? Yeah, Matt Groening uh, designed the Simpsons so that you, if you saw them in silhouette, you'd know who they are instantly. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And then, yeah, so he, and the same thing for him, like the plus fours, all that stuff, which he wore. Hergé wore plus fours, so that's part, partly why he drew them on Tintin. What are plus fours? Sorry. Plus fours are the short pants. Very good. That uh, tuck, into it, tuck into long socks. Now, has um, a popular again, sporting wear at the time. I may be jumping ahead of the game here, yeah. but when you're saying Tortor was the brother of Tintin and then like, Lost forever. Uh, was um, do we ever see Tintin's family in any? No, other? Tintin is just. Uh, He's basically like an orphan. Yeah. Okay. It's not his last name. It's not. A, it's just his name. There's right. no. There's never been any attempt to gr- put him in any kind of situation where you know. There, it's interesting with Tintin that you never see 
him interacting with people like in a family situation. Do you ever see his home? You see his, well, yes, you do. Because he lived on, what is it, 26 Labrador Road? His apartment. He lived, yeah. And how old is he in the in, in these things? When it started, Hergé visualized him being 15. So he's a 15-year-old living on his own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's part of the fantasy of it for children, right? Is the idea that as a child, you know, it's the same thing when you were young and you saw the, the Beatles walk into their home and help. And they walk in the doorways and then it's one big house that they all live in together. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. But as a child, it's a wonderful fantasy, right? So it's the same thing with Tintin. It's this wonderful fantasy that there's this boy who's respected and appreciated by ad- adults, can live and survive as, as ha- a, has a job. Has a job that you hardly ever see him doing. You never see him go see Perry White. We can talk about a, that later <laughs> and, get a, yeah. and get a chewing out. But, you know, there's, yeah. Cause, so there's this weird kind of disconnect yeah. from what we have in our lives. Well, and it's what, it's what every Disney film has to do. It's like the most dangerous uh, place in the world to be is to be in a Disney film in the first 15 minutes if you are loved by the main character. Okay. Especially if you're the parents of the main character. Yeah. You're going to die because in order to set them off on adventures, yeah. we got to have a reason why the parents aren't going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not going to go punch, you know, so-and-so Hitler in the face. Yeah. you yeah. got to come back here. That and famous so, Disney cartoon. And so the, I'm sure that's happened. <laughs> Oh, so many people have punched Hitler in the face. Cinder Hitler. <laughs> okay, sure. That's the first pun of the podcast, folks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you got to get rid of the authority figure to free your yeah. lead. And this one, they've just like, just starting with, look, he's who he is. Yeah. And go. Yeah. You never say where Snowy came from, right? He's always had Snowy. No, they've always been together. That's right. They've always been together. And there you go. And the reason that Snowy is a, is a wire-haired fox terrier is because they were quite popular at the time. Because Erich actually wasn't a dog person; he was a cat person. But because he was told that he, and plus a cat wouldn't really work. You can't have a cat on an adventure because the cat wouldn't be there. You know what probably happened is he had an adventure before this. The cat just went his own way. That was the end of the cat. (laughs) If you want to do a prequel, have the cat be involved. (laughs) And so, um, we should have the cat come back at the very end of each story, going, "How'd it go?" (laughs) Well, there was the Siamese cat. That well, you'll see it. There's Captain Haddock had a cat. Okay. He didn't keep completely keep. Uh, so, what's interesting about Tintin is he is a reporter. Where he's referred to as a reporter, and lots of different stories he's referred to as a reporter. Right. But we never really see him reporting, but we see him investigating. You know, so he's like an investigative journalist. We just don't see the boring part where he writes up the story. We can again. We're going to get into that when this okay. when we actually go over the actual book. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, he's he's basically a scout. Like when you look at all the kind of qualities of of Tintin, he basically kind of embodies this kind of scout ideal of bravery, courage, you know, uh, selflessness, brave, you know, all these sort of things that you... you. Yeah. And so, and then uh, the other, other important part about Snowy and why Tintin wanted Snowy to talk, uh, which was because he didn't want Tintin to have a running monologue through the books. Mm. So instead he has a conversation. So if something's happening, he can converse with Snowy, not just talk to himself, to us, you know? Because the way he visualized it initially was just it was just Tintin by himself with Snowy going through these adventures, and so you know just this endless kind of monologue would be very dull and also kind of unrealistic because people just don't talk to themselves like that all the time. Though it would be unlike a talking dog, well, which is totally realistic, right? But it actually would be realistic if you went with the conceit that he's a reporter, because then you could actually the whole thing is this is a story he's telling about his adventures and he's reporting on the story. You could report on the story and that you that read was that something and then you go. In all in all the uh, Hergé books, that's something that you that's very rarely used is the caption above the. He, he will occasionally put the next day 
Gotcha. Or yeah. the next morning. And there's no thought balloons either, it looks like. At least uh, there in this are one some I, thought balloons, but yeah. Not in this one and so much, but probably they weren't they weren't a uh, weren't used very much yet. Well, he hadn't seen the, them used. They do the thing in this one where the uh, villain is going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm yeah. going to wait till that guy comes through the door, and then I'm going to bop him on the noodle. Yeah. And Snowy's there going, oh, I heard him say that out loud. I'm going <laughs> to stop this from happening. Yeah, yeah. And then you want the guy to go, well, I just heard you saying that much. <laughs> so listen, none of us can think, so we ought to stop saying our thoughts out loud. Yeah. Okay, pal. That's a real rabbit hole that you could run down if, you know, because can other people understand Snowy or can only Tintin understand Snowy because Captain Haddock can't understand what Snowy's saying. Yeah, it feels he doesn't like, talk to it Snowy. It feels like a Charlie Brown Garfield situation, you know? It's like sometimes people can understand what Snoopy says, yeah. and sometimes people cannot understand what Snoopy says, and same with Garfield. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, and again, this came first, so, you know, it can lay claim to be the first. Maybe can, maybe can. And you know what? When you've got a dog, you understand what the dog wants. Yeah. And you talk to your dog. you got two dogs. Yes. You talk to your dogs. I do a lot. And they don't understand human, and you don't understand dog. Are you sure? And Well, no, I don't, and that leaves the mystery open. So, but we still do. My, so my dog fine. gets very grumpy if I, if I make fun of him. Does your dog rescue you from constant danger? Because that would be <laughs> pulling a real snowy. <laughs> yes, it would. Dropping a lot of things on guys' heads who are trying to murder you. All right, so that's kind of the background. Okay. So, so yeah, he's got to fill two pages a week with this. So yeah. he also did another another strip called uh, Quick and Flipka, which uh, Flip is is Philip and K is like a, a diminutive, so it'd be like little Philip. Okay. So Quick and Flipka, these two kind of uh, ragamuffin street urchins that always get in these kind of scrapes with a policeman. And they're much more knockabout than, than Tintin. Now, quick question with that one. Uh, seeing as how the idea, this was not uh, an anti-fascist kind of paper, like it was a government... It was anti, anti-communist, yeah. Understood, anti-communist, but it's like, you know, the government knows what's what. Was, the pol- was a police officer in that strip uh, the bad guy, or was the police officer someone who, good for him, uh, rounding up these kids who really shouldn't be doing this misbehavior? Oh, yeah, he was the heavy. He, is, he the, is he the good heavy, though, or is he the bad guy? Uh... He is a sympathetic character too. Like he's not evil. He's just okay. He's just doing his job. Because I know, and I'm just going to go like a quick overview of the of this uh, of in the land of the Soviets. Every authority figure yeah. in land of the Soviets is evil. Yes. Every single one. Now, admittedly, they are communists. Yes, that's they a difference. are in the land of the Soviets. That's a different thing. I understand that. Yeah. But you know, and I have like flicked through other Tintin books in the future, and it seems almost any time Tintin talks to a police officer and goes, "Oh, officer, let me tell you what's going on." Hey, you're full of baloney. Whack on the head. Knock unconscious. <laughs> throw in jail. Like it seems like authority figures. Not Tintin's greatest friend. Like, he doesn't no. get help from anybody. No, because that would undermine his character and yeah. undermine the adventures. If you know, if the Thompson twins were, were competent... That's right. ...then what would be the point of Tintin? Right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But it's not it's not necessarily, uh, hooray for our government, boo on yours. Yeah, It no, seems no. more, uh, the, uh, boo on yours, and that's it. No, as I say, uh, Hergé was very apolitical. I mean, he did occasionally get political, but, but not... not uh, not over the top, you know, it wasn't, he didn't become like this polemicist. He just, you know, there's a little bit of politics, say the, 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 you know, the situation in Manchuria with the Japanese and the Chinese in the Blue Lotus, you know, that has some political overtones in it. And, and then in King Ottokar's Scepter, you know, there's a little bit of like uh, a parody of a, of a kind of a despotic communist state, you know, and just things like that, or even, or maybe not communist, maybe more fascist, maybe, you know, because there is the the um, 
I can't think of his name, but we'll come to it and we'll see we'll see that you know you know he was making little political comments, but overall he tried to keep it for kids, you know, and so those things were like little asides almost little things like if you get it or if you understand what I'm saying, you know here's a good little lesson for you don't don't be a fascist, yeah, you know there seems to be uh lessons throughout this book as well, that yeah. Are- don't do this and don't do that. Yeah. All right. So we're going right into the book. Sure. Now? Let's go right into the book. All right. Let's, let's crack start it open. Let's start it like Hergé did. <laughs> how do how do we how are we starting it like Hergé did? What do, what do we Just do? On page one. Page one. Very good. He didn't well, plan it out. I think right. you can. It's pretty obvious when you look at it how little planning there was. All right. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, so let me just <laughs> let me just go with the first panel then. Okay. Which is well, it says like. Uh, uh, le petit, and it's double X and then E. Now, what is that? That's a Ventium. Ventium. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, we are always eager to satisfy our... Re- I'm not going to read you the whole thing, folks. Don't worry about this. Are eager to satisfy our readers and keep them up to date on foreign affairs and have therefore sent Tintin, one of our top reporters, to Soviet Russia. Each week, we shall be bringing you news of his many adventures. All right. The editor of Le Petit Ventium guarantees that all photographs are absolutely authentic, taken by Tintin himself, aided by his faithful dog, Snowy. Now, that's... That is panel number one. Yeah. All those photographs Tintin's taking. Now, I want you to look through the book and try to find, see if he has a camera. In any, see if he's took one damn photo by the end. By the end, time. Where, but, oh, I know, but the end, okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run to the end, then we're going to fill out the beginning. Like, the ending is everyone cheering, Tintin's back, huzzah, we're yeah. so happy. Yeah. Where are those photographs we've been waiting for for so long? Yeah. I didn't take one. Oh, did you write stuff down, Tintin? Not at all. Hooray, the greatest <laughs> reporter that's ever been. Well, I would wager that by the time, you know, he got to the end of the book yeah. that almost everyone who read the beginning of it had forgotten that he said that at the beginning. Okay, fair enough. Because it would be quite a bit later. Like, he started it, uh, let's see, what, he started it, I wrote it down somewhere. You, you talk and I'll just okay, look. Okay, sure you enough. You talk, I'll look. All right. Uh, well, one of the things I do like is, uh, you know, from, from the get-go, Tintin's in trouble. Like, uh, Tintin, you know, starts off, he gets on a train, and you're like, uh, well, how's things going on this train? And then, and then he's got a, He's got a mad bomber in the car next to him. Yeah. And it's that mad bomber that you'd see in every old, like, 1930s yes. cartoon. If you saw a mad bomber, it's this guy. And I don't know. Like, I, I realize when you see a mad scientist, they're almost all based on Tesla. You know, that's the that's the model for the mad scientist. Or sci- Einstein, I guess, with the uh, would it crazy be? hair. Well, Einstein came a little bit later. But okay. when you see, like, a... You know, uh, and he, they, they look Tesla-like. So this mad bomber who's got the big bushy beard and yeah. holding the round bomb with a fuse. Sure. I don't know if that was based on anything real, but one of those guys is on the train yeah. and blows it up. The whole thing blows up, yeah. except for Tintin and Snowy, yeah. who for some reason are immortal and cannot be killed. <laughs> like the, the conductor's dead, everyone else who's on the train clearly dead. <laughs> I like that. And, and, and then the, yeah. one, the two Highlanders who happen to be on this, they're fine. <laughs> I like that you can see bits of his plaid suit in the, in the debris of this explosion. And yet, yes, his clothes, are, you know, his clothes are in tatters, but he's still he's fine. And he was... Basically, you know, like beside the bomb when it went off. Yeah. The bomb that destroyed every other part of well, the train. Maybe it's the old. Well, you know what? I've seen this before where, you know, have you ever seen that thing at a car show where a guy sits on dynamite? Okay. You see that thing? No, I have not. Well, so the guy sits on dynamite and everything blows out around him. Yeah. But because he's at the eye of the storm, so to speak, yeah. uh, he survives. But you got to be at this one special point. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I think you could do a Mythbusters and, and show how he could survive that. But yeah. one thing I like in that is like 
uh, the I like having Snowy as the big complaining dog. Through yeah, the whole thing. yeah, like, oh, yeah. but there's rats here. I don't like traveling. This all stinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when he blows up, he seems to be all right with it. Like the real troubles, he's okay with. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He does only complains with the little. It's the small things that get to Snowy. It's not the the big things. You know? Snowy actually comes across to me just generally as an old man. He's got yeah. old man complaints like, ah, oh, the yeah. neighborhood ain't what it used to be. Oh, you're so vain. Look at you. He has to be on kind airs. of. He has to be kind of a counter to. To Tintin's earnestness. Yeah. There has to be a counter to that. And so we have this kind of crabby snarky, dog. Yeah. Snarky, crabby dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, Tintin runs into his first police officers. Mm-hmm. And uh, as will, you know, I, you tell me in the future if things will get better, but I don't think they will. Uh, things don't go well with uh, meeting with the cops. <laughs> no, they seem to, yes, immediately blame him for, but I mean. They well, blame, well, you know what? If I, Honestly, if a train exploded. Yeah. And everyone was killed. I'm yeah. saying killed. Maybe they were just thrown to the trees. Yes. That's right. um, and yeah. the only two survivors are are completely unscathed for the most part. Yeah. I would I would blame them. I don't think the police officers are out of line. You know, thinking that this guy was behind the whole thing. No. I, well, the problem. I mean the the problem with this book. Is that there's no there is I don't think there was much of an outline for him so no it's you know, it's it's clearly make him up it's really yeah it's really improvised so you know the reason the police are are mean mean to him in that moment is because he needs a cliffhanger for to end the pages yeah. so put him in jail cliffhanger what's gonna happen next week tune in you know so because and I guess also they're German and Germans weren't the people weren't the biggest fans of Germans in, in Belgium because Belgium had been invaded by the Germans right. And so that was in you know within memory. Mm. It would happen again in in a little while, but at that time, the that was still fresh in people's minds. So they weren't like the biggest fans of the Germans. So things like that, you know, were were considered fair game. Basically, when when Hergé started doing uh, Tintin in the Land of the Soviets, he he didn't have time to do much research about the Soviet Union. He relied on uh, some newspaper reports that he read, and then he read a book that was written by uh, this Belgian. A consul who had lived in and lived in Soviet Union for a while, and it was a book called Moscow Unveiled, and it was full of you know kind of anecdotes about the terror, the horrors and the terrors of Bolshevism, of that time, and it was terrible in the Soviet Union. Mm. You know, if you want to read the Gulag Archipelago, you can find out just how terrible it was. Mm. What you're reading in this book, in terms of how people were treated, isn't that inaccurate? I mean, what he, you know, the things that he's Except for how easy it is to escape. Yes, that seems to be... <laughs> yes, no one had that. Everyone else seemed to be having a hard time getting away from the forced labor camps, except for Tintin, who could just run sh- out the door. Yeah, have you th- thought about maybe punching them in the face? But he didn't... Because ha- that seems to work fine. But they didn't have a dog working in their... Working well, on that's their the side. other thing I like, is that they always lock up the dog with them. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what? Good on them. They're nice. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're not just shoot the dog. You'd think <laughs> that would be thing one you'd do if you were really evil, but you don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what it actually, the whole the whole thing, if you put it all together, does feel like a kid who's got a bunch of toys on the floor. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, he's got a motorcycle. Now he's got a this. Now he's got a that. But then he takes a train. Then he's on a submarine. Now yeah. he's got a diving suit. Now yeah. he's got a this. And he's using every toy that he got bought for Christmas and telling you this enormous story. Yeah. But he's got to use every one of these toys, even if they do not make sense and then he keeps repeating himself a little bit because he keeps throwing him back into prison because what are you going to do well because that's the that's a cliffhanger it's yeah. an easy cliffhanger to have him thrown into the huskow again yeah well, one more time how is he going to get out of this one again the same way he did the before <laughs> i don't know it seems pretty easy to beat up a large man if you're a 15 year old boy but i guess that's the fantasy as well that's part of the fantasy and i'll definitely say that stretches on through the tintin stories is someone 
who's a good is a, is a you know a good fighter. Oh, he's definitely a good fighter. Yeah. Like the the way he escapes from prison is he's in solitary confinement. Yes. In the dark. Yeah. Uh, and the guard comes in. It's a good opportunity for Erge to have a couple of easy uh, panels that are just all black. Oh yeah, it seems it seems like that. Like I don't actually even understand why the guard's coming in. He does. He's not coming in with food. He's not coming in for. There's no real reason for the guard to come in. He just came in to berate him. Yeah, and so you see the guard going in, and then just as Tintin uh, beats holy hell out of the guard. Yeah. The end. And then he takes his clothes. Uh, big, uh, way too big for him, but the other police officers are somewhat dim, uh, sneaks out and steals their bike, and then he thumbs his nose at them as he drives off. So, yeah. good on him. Yeah. Yeah, take that. Then they follow him in his car, uh, in their car, and then he steals their car. Because yes. they are incompetent. <laughs> well, yeah, they... Well, I, what I like is that he puts the puts the uh, clothes of um, one of the sections. He puts a clothes of himself in the field. Yeah, and all the guys run over to it, and they don't run over and go, "Oh, it's just a bunch of clothes." <laughs> clothes like, in the they field. They start tearing them apart and yeah. throwing them in the air and making a big hubbub about it. And then he's able to like spend about fifteen minutes crawling down under a tree, yeah. getting into the car, starting it, driving away. Meanwhile, they're flipping through these clothes as if. Oh, he's gotten really skinny. He must have shrunk. He must have shrunk. He has a shrinking he's, power. He's in the boot. Well, the first thing is, if you're going to, yeah, if if you're going to like put clothes in a field, yeah. you got to hope they have no depth perception because they can <laughs> see they're just clothes lying on the ground. Yeah. Then they finally, I love that, like as you say, they get up to them and they're still not fooled by these completely flat clothes on the ground. Yeah. I mean, this is stuff that would make Elmer Fudd go, come on, <laughs> come on. I'm not fooled for this, you know, by any means. And then, yeah. They they do get a little Looney Tunes in uh, in this. So yeah, he's now he's he's in a car and he's driving off and he's fine. Good for him. Oh, but the kid's got a plane for Christmas, so he's being chased by a plane. As well. <laughs> Good for him. And and I, by the way, I like that all the explosions. And I'm not saying this sarcastically. I like when an explosion says "boom." Yeah, it's just just a nice simple. Boom. I have I have a feeling that that is a translated "boom." It probably okay. said it probably said "bom." Okay. At the time, bomb. Yeah, and it's it's a very exciting scene. Like it goes it goes from he's being chased uh, by a plane. Uh, the plane blows up the back of the car. That's exciting. He's heading for a train, trying to beat the train. Does he beat the train? Nope. He does not beat the train. <laughs> he is now smashed by the train. Yeah, the tra- the train smashes the entire car once except again. For- the <laughs> immortal Tintin, who does not know his father is Zeus, and he's been sent to Earth. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, also Snowy, who has the... Oh, wait. No, no, no. You think Snowy's dead. But Snowy actually uh, got sucked into the train, went into the fire, and shot up through the smokestack. Is I it like... smokestack? Yeah. Uh, uh, he is blackened, uh, and he's very, very hot. Well, I would say because, you know, the fire is a giant boiler. <laughs> At the front of the train yeah. at this time, I mean, it's a it's coal fire train, so it's this giant boiler that's you know powering these the train, the locomotive. So he's going gone down into this boiling hot section. I don't and I don't. He comes out of it black. He should just come out of it dead. But like you know, like you but say. But again, Tintin has just like gone head head on with a train and is now riding on the front of it. And there's, he's fine. I mean, this book is pretty much the first two books are pretty much unlike. I mean, when you're reading these, you're not really reading Tintin, if you know what I mean. Like this, okay. The Tintin of these books. So far, this is all the Tintin I've ever read. There you go. And the Tintin of what you'll read in later books is a, quite a different character than this one as well. Like this character is, you know, he's kind of this callous. 
uh, devil may care, run you over. I, I would be if I was immortal too. If I had just been blown up by a bomb that didn't kill me and I just went right into a train that smashed into me and just learned that my dog cannot be burned yeah. in any way, yeah. I'd be pretty cocky. you get pretty cocky. Pretty yeah. cocky. And then the rain comes and it washes Snowy back to being clean and yeah. everything's yeah. fine. Uh, but then once again, we got some guards and they uh, pick, pick him up. He's got his papers. Now, let me just say something about that. Yeah. Good for those papers. Those yeah. papers that, one, have been in an explosion... Two have been in solitary confinement. Good yeah. for the good for those first set of guards not taking yeah. anything out of his pockets. His documents, his, uh, his documents, his travel documents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then getting then then getting uh, hit by a train because that's I, the last things authorities will do is you know confiscate your passport. And things no, like that. no. Why would they do that? They're very polite. They'll let you keep your dog and uh, all your stuff. <laughs> all your stuff. And and then uh, yeah, and then it rains and yeah. you're soaked through in and the, the your documents are fine. But you know they still. Uh, they want to kill him because uh, he's Tintin and he has to be killed. So uh, they're going to go and have an accident and try to kill Tintin. Now, by this section, he, he, is in, he is in the Soviet Union by now, right? Okay, sure. So in the Soviet Union, you did, need, you did need to have papers to travel. You weren't allowed to travel without permission. And he's got proper permission. But he, has pro- he is a journalist, so he has now, pa- journalist papers. Tell me why they're steamed at him. Like, why are these guards annoyed? Like, what's because the they deal? know who he is. He's Tintin, the famous reporter. Right. Who's come there to do an expose on Soviet Union. So does it make sense uh, to have said reporter get killed? No, it doesn't. Because later on, there's a, <laughs> the sequence with the British reporters. Yeah. And this is based in, in reality. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, the famous British journalist, uh, he was in Moscow in the 1930s. And he was a communist at the time and was being wined and dined and showing all the, the glories of this new, the, this new Soviet Union. And then, you know, he and the other reporters were, you know, drunkenly trained back across Russia, back to Europe. And all the, and they never questioned why all the windows were, were blocked up because they were driving through the worst famine that had ever occurred in, up to that point in history through the Ukraine, mm-hmm. where, you know, 40 million people were dying. But they didn't know that. They had just been wined and dined, mm. saw this w- extravagance and waste, uh, because it was all fake. They really didn't have that extravagance or waste to waste. Right. But in order to impress the West, they would, you know, reporters, so they would go back and sing the praises of Stalinism and et cetera, et cetera. You know, all this was ignored. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was, a, and, you know, he was felt super guilty about that too, because he just, what a sucker to get taken in by just a show, right? But it's basically a show. And so we see that later in the story where there's the four report the four British reporters by the factory and then Tintin goes in and exposes it for what it is which is and they feel like rubes. They feel like I don't know if they're do they realize what's happening? Oh, I got to double check. We'll I get guess to, it. I don't remember them reacting to it. I thought it just him going in there and oh, finding finding them burning hay and a guy clanging on uh, <laughs> stuff <laughs> which seems to me like when you see that you're like wouldn't it have just made as much sense to actually be making stuff? Mm-hmm. Than to have a guy paying a guy to bang on sheets of metal hanging from yeah that seems yeah it does seems seem like a lot of work yeah. To, yeah I've yeah. S- I've seen that in other in other movies where they you know put a bunch of fake stuff up and you're always like how about the real stuff yeah, it's easier it's, you spend a lot of work <laughs> making this fake stuff yeah yeah anyway. there's so, a good dig at jazz though when he is there yeah, right. what is this is this jazz music he's playing because he's banging <laughs> Ooh, away on all these yeah there we go burn take it uh so all right so Tintin is now of course he's he's uh, raggedy. Because uh, he's been through two explosions. Well, you know, <laughs> many, major, many explosions. Many tra- and uh, yeah. prison, a stint in prison. Yes. 
Uh, and so he goes to the shop to get some clothes. Mm -hmm. Once again, very nice of the guards in that first prison to not take his money. Yes. To leave him enough cash. Yeah. Because I'm assuming he doesn't have a credit card. That wouldn't be a thing. No, it wouldn't have been So he's got a pocket full of cash, and no matter what happens to the guy, no one takes his money. Good for him. Good for them. People were more honest in those days. Yeah, those honest uh, (laughs) Soviets. So uh, he goes to the tailor. Tailor goes, I'm going to make you a suit of clothing. Has to leave Snowy outside. Yeah. And that's when Snowy finds out about the murder plot. Yes. Now, let me tell you what the what the guy says, because this is my favorite line in the entire book. Okay. This is the guy who's been who's told to have Tintin have an accident. Yes. He's outside, and he's eating a banana. And he <laughs> says, I'll eat this delicious banana yeah. while I wait for Comrade Tintin. Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> you know what? Because he may be evil, but yeah. he takes a moment to enjoy a delicious banana before well, he murders somebody. The, the best part then of that. Then he gets an idea. <laughs> but here's the best part of that. Let me just interrupt you for one second. Sure. What I love about it is here's this book criticizing Bolshevism. You know, this is an expose of the evils of, of the Soviet Union, of the poverty and, and the, the, the unfortunate lives of all the people there. But meanwhile, he suggests that they do have bananas. Like, really? So this delicious country... Bananas that supposedly cannot provide anything for people is able to import bananas yeah i got, I got another i got another uh, thing with this it starts with him leaning against the wall smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. and you see both of his hands i don't know where he's keeping the banana like he's 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 yeah. he's at work he likes he, a warm banana he's told by his he's told by his boss go kill tintin yeah. you got it boss wait a minute before i do that let me just grab a snack. Takes a banana, puts from it in the, the fruit bowl. From the fruit bowl, there's a kiwi, <laughs> yeah. mango, guava, yeah. and a banana. Well, they got a th- all the things. They, they got a thank you uh, fruit bouquet. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and then the, the tropical fruit bouquet <laughs> that's right. came in. And so this poor country that no one can afford bread, <laughs> they have they have this whole selection of tropical fruit. That's right. That they can take. So he's just eating a banana. Mm-hmm. Then he gets the idea. Here's what I'm going to do. Yes. I'm going to put this banana skin outside <laughs> of the tailor. And when he comes out, he'll fall and crack his skull. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So death by slapstick. Foolproof. Foolproof <laughs> plan. Yeah. The only the only flaw in his plan, he said it out loud next to the talking dog who understood it completely. <laughs> that's right. And uh, That's why Tintin can talk to himself. He that's needed, right. He well, let me just tell you, tables were turned and that guy ended up falling. Yes. But he did not crack his skull. <laughs> he did not crack his skull because it's kind of impossible. Well, that kind of shows, because uh, one interesting thing about Totor, patrol leader of the Hanatons, was that... you got to say it by the full name every Yes, time. that's right. Was that uh, Hergé, when he was drawing that, he would always write, um, you know, an Hergé moving picture. And... Or the Saint Boniface players. He would put these little things to make it to make it seem like a movie, mm-hmm. and he would put like directed by Hergé at the end of each strip. And you know, so to him, he was drawing a movie. He wasn't drawing a comic strip. And so, I, to me, the the banana peel is a real. He's taking that from American slapstick films. Oh, definitely. You know, where I mean, the one example I can think of there's a Buster Keaton film where he drops a banana, and then it's set up that he's going to slip on it. But he actually steps over it and walks past it, and he thumbs his nose at you, the audience, for <laughs> your expectations of him slipping on his banana, which he doesn't do. That feels very Tintin. Yeah. He, he yeah. knows something. See, like a lot of this first part of the story, and maybe the rest of the story, frankly, I think this would have made a fine black and white film. Like, you know, a lot of it is so action-packed, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't do it. It would have cost a fortune yes. unless you did it with miniatures or some, some such. Yes. Uh, There's only so many cars and planes and trains and trucks and horses that you can blow up but a guy say a guy with his dog uh trying to cr- uh, cross a train track 
the car smashes, and then you see the guy riding in front of the train, and then the dog pops up through the stack. That's just good comedy, you know. That would that would work as like a, you yeah. know, and this lands in the guy's hands. That's that's fine stuff. Almost everything here. In fact, his fighting style seems very old timey Chaplin, Buster Keatony. Yeah, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, I would say that yeah, this really shows his inf- you know how silent films influenced his his comics. And maybe it's because this is one of the few. I don't know if the next one is black and white, but this is the only black and white one I've seen. Yeah, too, so maybe that gets in there. So uh, so now uh, he's going to go for a meal. Does not decide to go for a meal. That annoys Snowy. <laughs> Snowy's had enough of this business. Yes. You know, Snowy wants a bone or a meal. He's yeah. just hungry. Yeah. He's almost been killed a couple <laughs> several, of times. Several t- almost been killed. That's right. Yes. I think he was killed. Do you think it's Snowy's <laughs> yeah, just, it's, just a variety of different dogs? I think it's just, I think both of them have been killed and they're just seeing a variety of different Tintins and Snowy's. Okay. You're not theorizing that this is the afterlife and he <laughs> no, died no. in the first couple no, of pages. No. He's just fantasizing. So uh, <laughs> now they're trying to catch a train. And they're catching a train using one of those devices I've only seen in silent movies. Yes. Which was that little cart that you, like, pump. Once again, I doubt it was used in Europe. It was probably only used in the United States and was probably only seen in films by by Europeans. Okay. But I can't remember what it's called, but yes, the the trestle, the treadle... Yeah, you control it by by the seesawing up and down with yeah, the handle. Yeah, you'd see, you'd see like uh, you'd see two characters in a movie that's yeah. doing the double pump, but in this case, it's just yeah. one. It was a very efficient way for railway employees to get from place to place. Now, here's what I like in this: is he's chasing the train. Okay. Yes, by hand, with hand. One, by hand. Yeah. And now Snowy's in the back, and Snowy's saying, this speed terrifies me. I'd mm-hmm. rather not look. Yes. Snowy completely forgetting that just seconds before, yeah. he was in the front of a train going, <laughs> you know, he's, no. But he wasn't going fast enough to catch up to a train. He was going exactly as fast as a train. Yeah. Because he was in the but front Tintin, of the train. And Tintin's also stuck in a train and, and on fire. <laughs> that, that seems more serious. But Tintin... Theoretically, is going faster than the train in order to catch up to it. Okay, so, so not only is he he's immortal, he's incredibly strong. He's hand pumping by himself. Maybe we can assume a downhill. Maybe. So the train is having to break a little bit in order to take a curve up ahead. And also, it could yeah, there could be a lot. Let's of give things. let's give some reason for this catching up with the. Well, anyway, he's he is traveling so fast that he breaks the handle off. Yeah. And falls backwards. Uh, Snowy is worried, of course. Now, where are you going, Tintin? They fall on the tracks. Snowy's worst fear comes true. Yeah. He was yeah. terrified of moving at this uh, incredible speed. It's a popular superstition. Fall on the tracks, break your back. <laughs> that's, well, that's a pretty right superstition. <laughs> and so Snowy and him, they, they fall and it's all upsetting and whatever. But luckily yeah. for Tintin, yes. there's a scrap heap nearby. Because <laughs> yes. this is where, in the middle of nowhere, yes. people throw every part of a yeah. car. It's time for an episode of Monster Garage. <laughs> that's right. He's just going to take some junk and put it together and make a... A pretty good car, actually. Yeah, he it's MacGyver's a, uh, yeah. a really good car. Now let's remember. Let's remember that this is one of the few few times that Snowy ever compliments him, <laughs> because it's imp- because it's important for later. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he says uh, he's pretty smart, our Tintin, and he's made a little car, and now he's driving the car yeah. to to catch the thing. So good for Tintin being very very smart, mm-hmm. and also somehow finding gasoline. <laughs> I don't know wh- why where yeah. he found that yeah. to power the car, but he did. And so, uh, oh, but it smashes, and we're going on with that, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so another evil Bolshevik uh, bends the track so that... Uh, yeah, which, of course, will kill many people later on that yes, day, too, right? Because yeah, right? right. the train's okay. got to come They're along. probably Ukrainian. It's fine. Okay. They're probably kulaks. It's okay. And so this, uh, this Bolshevik... Uh, uh, Tintin actually has to have a fight with him. Mm. Fist, fisticuffs. Yeah. And he's a 15-year-old boy yeah. with a big Bolshevik bald man. 
And uh, it's not even close. He just just beats him up. He's just strong. (laughs) Well, what's interesting about this sequence is uh, it's one of the early places that that I remember thinking, oh, here's some here's some photo reference. When you look at how Tint is fighting stance, okay. it looks like uh, Hergé was using some photo reference to get the, how you'd stand and fight, like how you would, like holding the fist, you know, the way his arm is back and stuff. It looks very like, like a photograph. Like yeah. it's not a way that you would think if you're just drawing from memory of how someone fights, that's not how you would draw it. And of course, but it goes from, it goes from like, you know, some very photorealistic fighting drawings, almost reminiscent of like Captain Easy, like Roy Crane. Okay. And then it goes to him flying into the guy's stomach, and then it becomes the circle of, of fighting yeah, with as, the stars and the, yeah, the similar, dust flying. Similar to later uh, Beetle Bailey when Sarge is beating him yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It probably, he probably borrowed that from American comics as well. It probably already was a, a, that idea of this, the rolling circle with arms and legs sticking out of it. It was probably already, a, 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 you know, a common trope at the time i really like snowy's reactions though to the fight he's enjoying it a lot yeah snowy snowy uh really enjoys uh watching people get hurt like snowy snowy is a bit of a mean dog yeah he's a bit well, no he's just a grump he's a grumpy yeah. snarky dog and i like when tintin punches the guy in the eye and he goes smack in the eye <laughs> it's like we can see that but <laughs> thanks fair, for, yeah. thanks for letting us know yeah thanks for letting us know well it's this, he also has a, a part-time job as a boxing commentator right snowy so you just you didn't know that and but. so tintin walks away uh unscathed completely unscathed yeah not a mark on him not a scratch his clothes are fine yeah the other guy's clothes are torn to pieces yeah so so tintin uses that style of i'm going to rip your clothing <laughs> yeah 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 with his, uh, with his claws his long fingernails with his long fingernails Anyway, he beats him up, and uh, there you go. I mean, it's a kid's fantasy. It's fine. It's fine. Then they go for a nice walk on the railroad tracks. Yeah. Uh, and they have their stand-by-me moment. Yeah, okay, tra- yeah. Where the trains yeah. are coming. Yeah. And this train, which, this train is pretty good. It's not, well, okay, I was going to say this train is, yeah, it's all right. It's okay. The train is okay. What I find, what He's I... He's drawn a lot of trains. What I enjoy in this like book... like this train, wait uh, two minutes, and there'll be another train. <laughs> what I enjoy in this book is how much his drawing improves. From beginning to end. Oh, okay. Like when you get to the train at the end, you're like, it's impressive, impressive train. Right. The trains at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, that's pretty good. Pretty good use of the ruler. This book could be called Tintin versus Trains. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. The train really is another character, you know. Uh, and this one, I, I see. You see, he's running from the train and terrified of the train, mm-hmm. which would be again, you'd go, yeah, that could really be something if I hadn't just seen you get hit by a train. And it not affect you in a car in the slightest. Yeah, yeah even yeah. worse in a car, and yeah. you're fine. Yeah. So you know, I'm not. Again, that's the difference between the stand by me moment and this. But he finds a little nook uh, yes. as you as you have and everything, and says that was a narrow squeak. Uh, and uh, you know, tint. Uh, sorry, Snowy complains, and we move on with the story. Now, yes. my my next. Uh, my We've ne- already mentioned the British journalists, which is the, the next sequence is involves them. So we, we yeah, won't go now back to that. Yeah, the British journalists. Yeah, these guys all look like they're caricatures of something, are they? Because they almost look like uh, Dick Tracy. I don't think know, Dick characters. Tracy, but I think they're probably. If you looked at uh, someone from that, for, I wish I could think of the name, the Bruce something or other, or David Low. Uh, cartoonists of that time period are drawing sort of British archetypal British gentleman that you'd see in punch and stuff like that that's what i'm thinking because it looks you know, like how to I think draw a brit yeah he probably you, they like have jaws like this they yeah. have cheeks like this he went to the local newsstand and got le punch and then uh and read up on how british people look and just drew for these sort of wood wood houseian sort of uh characters now uh we move from there to tintin learning a lesson about helping the homeless yeah 
Uh, now this uh, this I actually like because Tintin sees a fella who's uh, saying he's hungry and he's outside of a restaurant and Tintin this is the first nice thing that Tintin does like Tintin just so far is showing up getting beat up and doing the bare minimum to survive yeah you yeah. know uh, it's, got, it's got torn clothing I got to fix my clothes but he's really done nothing positive in any yeah. way yeah. and this is the first time you go like oh he's a good guy he's like stop he's bringing the guy in for a meal yeah. The restaurant guy doesn't want to... Restaurant guy. Waiter, whatever, whatever you call Owner of the restaurant. Server. Server, whatever he is. Maitre d' uh, says, no, we won't have these homeless men in here. Yeah. And, and Tintin goes, yeah, you will, you jerk. And I'm going to feed him a meal. So, you know, all of a sudden now, to me, I'm uh, I'm on Team Tintin. Good yeah. for the guy. Yeah. But stupid Tintin. <laughs> he should learn. He should learn. Never he help anybody. The, he's in the Soviet Union where there are no poor people. Oh. Right? That's you should have known. Well, everyone has is issued a delicious banana at the beginning of the day. <laughs> Everybody. They got a fruit bowl. <laughs> yeah, tropical true. fruit bowl. Uh, but what's Oh, but the, the nice thing here though is uh is is finally Snowy gets some bones. Yes. And they're the 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 bones are the best he's ever eaten. Yeah. Now to me that makes me think this is going to be a terrible twist and he'll find That's out right. what these bones are. Like they're dog <laughs> human bones, bones. Human bones, dog bones, some horrible twist, yeah. but don't worry, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh he just looks up and goes, "I think I recognize that face." Yeah. He doesn't recognize him from his smell, yeah. as a dog would do, mm-hmm. or by the sound of his voice as a dog would do, yeah. but by his face and he remembers all oh, this guy tried to murder Tintin. And when you look at this, the character, you see a real McManus uh, influence in his in his face. Oh, this uh, is the... one where Jiggs from Bringing Up Father is trying to murder Tintin. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, it's Jiggs. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Irish uh, lead in in that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Tintin, uh, sorry, and Snowy then, yep, pulls off the old uh, beard, uh, reveals him, and uh, you know Tintin takes it in stride. <laughs> What's this little comedy mean? <laughs> yes. It is kind of underplayed. You, you want Snowy to then go very little comedy, <laughs> but but gives the guy a, t- a chance to pull his gun out. Fair enough. Now now is this guy with the gun? Is his motivation still? He wants to accidentally kill Tintin, make it look like an accident, right? I think by this time he's fed up. Just the hell with it. Yeah, I think he's I think I think he has his own his own mission. He's, uh, He's given up on that guy. Uh, he's got his own uh, reasons. Unfortunately, uh, this fella, uh, he's brought a gun to a soup fight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Tintin, uh, Tintin douses him with the hot boiling soup. And uh, it's a big old fight. And Tintin wins. Once again, Tintin's method of defeating a person yeah. is to tear his clothing. Yeah. <laughs> really shred it. Yeah. If they put one of one of theirs on the table, he puts one of theirs in the kitchen. Or right. two of theirs in the kitchen, I guess would be the... Tintin, again, has enough money to pay for all the damages. <laughs> Uh, he, yeah, apparently he has a. He must have a bank. He must have a money belt. Yeah, that we just didn't see. At the he beginning. pays the guy for the damages. Mm-hmm. Now, while it's nice that Tintin does that, I think if you go to a country, yeah, and a person in that country tries to murder you, yes, you should not have to pay for the damages to the restaurant mm. that the person tried to murder you in. Though to be fair, the guy did not want the guy in there. Yeah, you know that's true. You I know, mean, Tintin did, did force the issue. Tintin did get a warning. Yeah, and I mean the guy was wrong. Why, for why he didn't want it, but you know, yeah. it's fine. And so then it's time for a walk around the town. <laughs> for some reason, Tintin... Uh, oh, I see. Uh, Snowy has his, uh, a little bit of the guy's pants. Yes. And, like After the guy is running away and has clearly surrendered, Snowy goes off panel and comes <laughs> back with a chunk of his pants. So, you know... Pers- Snowy's not above kicking a guy when he's way down. <laughs> he's, he has a job. Right. And Grum- now, now, dog. now we're going to learn how a communist election happens. Base, this is this is uh, taken right out of the pages of uh, Moscow Unveiled. This is a story from there. Is that right? Yeah. 
So why don't you explain how this one goes? Because I'm I'm yapping a lot here. Okay, well it's fine. I'm enjoying. But uh, in this story, the, the the story here is that the, there's elections happening. There's three different lists. Uh, the first list is the communist list, and so everyone's out. You know who is against the communist list, and then the the Bolsheviks pull out their guns and point them at the crowd, and they're like, "No one. All right, the communist list pass. Forget the rest. We won't bother with the other lists." And that's the end of the. Uh, those are unusual stories. There's a story by Solzhenitsyn and Gulag Archipelago talking about this meeting, and uh, some communist bigwig gets up and makes this big speech, and everyone, you know, gets up and you know starts giving this big standing ovation. They're clapping away. They're clapping. Everyone's clapping so hard, and they're clapping away, clapping. It's clapping. No one wants to stop though, because who wants to get in trouble for stopping? Yeah. So they're just clapping. Clapping. Oh, they clap forever. Let's keep going on. Everyone's getting tired of clapping. They're like exhausted. Oh my God. Someone has to stop this. Someone. So finally one guy, this old kind of respected yeah. member of the town, he says, okay, enough with the clapping. He, he stops clapping. He sits down and everyone else sits down. He got shipped off. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's... Uh, it's funny and it's not funny. Yeah. yeah it's a it. kind of human comedy. Yeah. The, oh boy. The terrors. So Tintin's watching this. He's learning a lesson about you know horrors of communism. Yes. And then he now this this confuses me a bit. Why don't you explain this to me? Uh, there's a, uh, a, a soldier, a guard, some such, and he's aiming a gun at Tintin for watching this. Yeah. And uh, he is speaking what? Russian. Okay. So no one else is speaking Russian. Yeah. Up to this point, oh, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Up to this point, everyone's made themselves. Everyone's been pretty friendly. Like and has taken the trouble the to speak. The election has just gone on. To speak, with, not just, not, they're speaking like, because it does, I mean, no, Belgium has a French, they have French, and then they have a Flemish. Yeah. So I probably, Tintin was French. He was from the French part of probably, Belgium. Yeah. So they're speaking French to him, which is pretty nice. But then, here, let's be, let's be fair. Like, French was a huge, was actually more popular to speak. You know, once the aristocracy in in so in Russia. But let's say you know, so maybe it still kind of hangs on. So Tintin is now watching this communist election, yeah. well, uh, you know, election, and they've decided to speak French. Yeah, to each other. To each other and to yeah. the people, and then threaten each other in French yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And now we got the one <laughs> jerk in Russia yeah. who wants to speak Russian. <laughs> what the hell's and it's like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the mistake. It's like you watch a movie that takes place in Germany. In the 40s, and everyone's speaking British, and you go, but, yeah. but you know, or speaking English, and they've got a German accent, and you're like, so we should do this, yeah, we should. And yeah. you're like, we just buy that they're speaking German, but yeah. we're going to translate. Now you got one jerk comes up and is actually speaking German. Now, why is everyone speaking English with a German accent? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you've ruined the whole. Me- uh, so, anyway, there's that. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he's got a gun to Tintin. Well, Tintin doesn't have his soup with him. What's he going to do? These are things that happen when you're, when you're writing by the seat of your pants. You know, like, you just, you, you've totally forgotten how you've established this in the, in the rest of the story. You get to this page where you want this particular setup because of the gag. Mm-hmm. And so in order to get that, you need this, you need this stalling. You need to have some stalling. And uh, so, uh, get it? Hey, huh? You need to, so, so he adds this little sequence, but you're right. It doesn't make any sense, but... You know, for someone who's not looking back at what he's doing, nor forward, it just—it's just sure. you know a momentary. Yeah, I wonder how much he actually like looked back on the story, or just went eh, moving along. And yeah, I know. I don't. He didn't have much, time. How much you plot in advance? He didn't have time. I mean, he was—he was drawing ads. He was drawing. He was doing typography. He was still working for the main paper as well as doing the Le Petit Vatiem. So he's filling that with material. He's got to f- come up with like enough material, not just comics, but. But, you know, games and yep. puzzles and stories and stuff for, you know, text things as well as, as, as the graphic side of it. But in case you're worried, Snowy saved the day. 
Thank goodness. No, we stripped the, tripped the guy. Everything's fine. Yeah. So uh, Tintin's going to go take a sleep now. You know, he's, uh, he's at a busy time. So yeah. he's, he's in a room. Uh, he's uh, going up. He's, uh, oh, you know what? I stand corrected. I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah. He's actually writing his article in this. Yeah. Look, yeah. he wrote his article. And it's a huge article. He wrote for quite a while. Now, if, I, if I wrote that quickly, I, I could actually do something. But uh, Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. And I don't know where he got the paper from. And clearly he doesn't take it with him. So he's just going to leave it in that room because he doesn't have it for the rest of this story. No. So let's just hope someone finds that huge article he just wrote. Once again, no photographs, no, which he, we promised you. Well, isn't he putting it in an envelope? Is he? Let's see. Looks like yeah, he's licking an, done. Looks like he's licking an envelope. Right? Oh, now he's one. Yeah, but how can I get this back to the office? I'll think about it tomorrow. All right, we're going to see how he gets it to the office. Yeah. So he goes to he goes to sleep, and uh, well, here comes the murder squad again. <laughs> yes. And they actually, he defeats them as they're slamming against the door with, once again, the old uh, Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers, yep. guys running back to, like, break the door open. How do you, how do you beat them? You magically know when they're going to hit the door, and then you open it be- just before they hit it. That's right. Smash, they smash their heads against the wall. And, uh, okay, that takes care of one guy. Yeah. But now you're in a room, and you've got two Soviets that are trying to murder you. It's the easiest thing in the world to, to do, solve this. Well, what do you do, Dave? Well, like, what do you do? Like, you, I don't know. Listen, thing. listen. What? Maybe you've got more uh, training in, in yeah. this kind of thing than yeah. I do. Maybe, I you do. know, self-defense training. Sure. All right, so... First put, thing you do, yeah, grab a sheet off the hotel bed. Okay, now you're what you're you making you making like a uh, you making something that you can climb down from a window then for safety. You're gonna no, choke the guy. That with doesn't it? make any. No, you're none gonna of that wrap makes it sense. around your fists and start punching. None it? of that makes sense. All right, what do you do, Dave? Cut two holes in it. Yeah, and pretend you're, <laughs> pretend you're a ghost. <laughs> but the, wait, Dave. Yes. You think that's gonna scare? I can see that scaring one person. I can see that scaring one small child. All right, but wait a second. <laughs> yes. I've got a dog here. What do I do with him? What do we do with the dog? We also put a small <laughs> Sorry. We also put a small sheet on the dog. Okay. It makes it's a perfect plan. And so yeah, so that's what happens, everybody. You take Tintin, Tintin and Snowy both dress as ghosts and they try and they scare they scare the, the Bolsheviks. I don't know if they're Bolsheviks. I guess but they scare the they scare the Soviets. <laughs> like they go full Scooby Doo. They go full Scooby Doo. Like they might as well just run down a hallway and run into various doors yes. while rock music plays. <laughs> And then just poke their yes. heads out of a garbage can and then come back down again. Yeah, you just, what I like is that between someone running through a door that you quickly open and smashing into a wall, yeah. and the other two joining him, you have time to take sheets off a bed, a pillowcase, and a full sheet, cut holes in both of them accurately where your eyes would be, Right. which is pretty tr- tricky to figure out. As we know from Charlie Brown, it's hard to figure out where your eye holes are going to go. Right. He oh, does it for both of them no, no, totally no. accurately. Wait, stand corrected. Not, not just two holes for him. There are five holes for the dog, because the dog's got two holes for eyes, two for ears, and one for his tail. Otherwise, he's not an accurate ghost dog. Exactly. The guys would run through and go like, oh, that's a ghost. And a, hey, wait a minute, where's his ears and tail? Oh, no, it is a ghost dog. I didn't. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Frankly, yeah. I think Tintin is, is, uh, should just... Stay as a ghost for the rest of this because he can never, scare all of Russia. It would never get this silly again, really. Yeah, and it's kind of sad it in a way. It goes for a long way. Yeah, he does. You know, this gag carries on for quite a while. It must have been fun to draw him in that sheet. Well, the other thing is, you know, so he comes down the stairs. He scares another person who's scared of ghosts. Then goes outside, and it looks like it's daytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's running around. Though it's clearly night because the 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 one guy is addressed. In a nightshirt, holding a candle, barefoot, yeah. 
with a gun, <laughs> yeah. with a nightcap. Yeah, yeah. So all the things that would make you think it might be nighttime. <laughs> Unless he's trying to fool Tintin into thinking it's nighttime. That's right. Anyway, Tintin. No, Tintin is wearing his ghost outfit for quite a while. Uh, he's walking. He's walking. Unfortunately, when you're wearing a ghost outfit, the one thing you don't see, a manhole that's open. <laughs> yes. And in you fall. Because sometimes you need a, an artistic break and you need a couple of panels that you can just draw black. Yeah, yeah. And well, we're back to that. Yeah, yeah. And here you see his use of the... Uh, Blue, which you don't see in in American comics, the question mark in a balloon very often. Mm-hmm. Do you think I don't? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's something that's pretty pretty common to European comics. Obviously, growing out of of Hergé's developing it in Totor, and you know, then incorporating it into Tintin, and it got more it got more elaborate. He just made a beautiful question mark as time went on. Right. So here's so, more over here as you see the. Yeah, I'm just going back here and seeing what Tintin was sleeping in. If Tintin was sleeping in his yeah, Tintin was just sleeping in his clothing. I was wondering because because uh, Tintin takes the sheet off and he's in the sewer and now he's just in his regular clothing. But that all makes sense because he was asleep in his clothing. Mm-hmm. But he's trapped in a sewer. Yeah. Now what are you gonna do? And I, I imagine this. Hmm, it's hard to know now if this is the. Um, yeah, I guess this would have been the uh, the cliffhanger here where he's trapped behind the uh, get grill while the water is pouring. And of course, Snowy's saying, "I told you this would end up badly." <laughs> you know what, Snowy? No, you didn't. You yeah. were you were complaining a yeah. lot about a lot of things, but once you had your bones, you were pretty you were pretty fine. Yeah, I don't I don't remember you ever predicting this. All right, Nostradamus, <laughs> you didn't. Though I guess if you complain constantly, eventually you're right. Yep. So yeah. anyway, uh, looks like Tintin's gonna drown. He's uh, or some such. He's behind. Uh, he's behind a grate. He's. Uh, does, there's no way of getting out. Yeah. And uh, and except how, except for what the mo- the moment when you sneeze. Yeah. We all know one of the common things when you sneeze is that grating will fall out of cement. <laughs> yes, because he gets a little bit of a cold. <laughs> it happens all the time. But once again, we. I think this is going with my idea that Tintin is the son of Zeus. <laughs> yeah, apparently. You know, he has these superhuman powers. He doesn't understand them. Uh, you know, he can fight and any person. I like that they keep it in the. Franco-Belgian chew rather than achu. Oh, that's true. And and it's quite small. It's not that impressive a sneeze either. It's not like a big achu, just a small chew. By the way, that uh, breaks out grating. We don't we don't encourage drinking. Uh, David and I are not. David's a teetotaler. I I barely drink. But if you want a Tintin drinking game, yeah. Uh, when you're reading your book, any time that you see a question mark appear, take a drink. And once again, there's uh, more of those question marks uh, shown because <laughs> they're very confused by what's going on. Yeah, as they should be. So uh, Tintin is escaping from his sewer. Yeah, it's good. Uh, he's it's it's kind of funny. He fell into some. Um, I assume it's mud. Yeah, let's, let's hope. Let's hope it's mud. Like you're coming out of a, a, sewer. Su- it is a sewer. You're covered in uh, something dark. Uh, let's just assume it's mud. That's fine. And uh, and uh, there's an authority figure that sees him. So how's this going to work out? Uh, arrested. Yeah, he's arrested again. But he'll never escape. As we've we're, one thing we've learned reading Tintin is how hard it is to escape from from. Uh, arrest when you've been right so yes well here's the thing he doesn't even have to go and uh to to the prison this time though because the uh police officer spots a coin on the ground yes bends over sticks his butt in the air and now it's kicking time yes so uh yeah good for him he kicks him into the into the water and gets the coin and gets the coin that seems to be a jerk move. Like, if I was Tintin, and yeah. I was a decent man... Look, first of all... Wait, we you know, just throw the coin after him? Yeah, because then the guy's going to die for it, right? Because uh, he's obviously cheap enough to, wa- you know, in the middle of an arrest. Well, not cheap enough. He lives in Soviet Union where no one has anything. They've got bananas. 
Besides Lots the, of beautiful, besides, delicious bananas. Besides a strange oversupply of bananas, we're told they have nothing there. Yeah, and sheets that have holes pre-cut into them. Mm. That's yes. how poor they are. That's how poor they are. It's the sheets the have sheets holes have in holes. them. Yeah. So anyway, he escapes from the from the police officers that way. Mm. But then more police officers come and, and yeah. listen. It's been a while since we've had a vehicle. So time for a change, What though. have we not used time yet, for a Dave? Change. Yeah. We've used a plane. We've used a train. We've used a car. We've used that thing that catches a train. Oh, my gosh. A motorcycle. Like, what could we use? We've used a motorcycle, haven't we? Uh, I, I'm not sure if we have. Maybe we've used a motorcycle. But you know what? Let's just use a boat. Yeah. So anyway, it's time for the boat scene. This almost feels like in James Bond, where you've got the different sections, and this would be the it boat scene. No, it's not like James Bond. It's it's actually more gross than that. It's actually more like The Expendables 2. I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but there's an opening sequence where they use about 14 vehicles to save one person, okay. and they leave all the vehicles behind. Yeah. Like, all the vehicles are left, and then they escape in a plane. And you're like, well, what about the Hummer, and the 14 motorcycles, and the RV, and then the the uh, the the whatever else you're riding, all those other things that kept appearing mysteriously. Well, that's, this is the same sort of thing. Like, what? This is why who keeps so- leaving their keys well, everywhere? Well, this is the problem. This is why the Soviet Union is so poor. Yeah. Is they keep leaving all their vehicles around. If you <laughs> with just, the keys in them. Yeah, if you just sell these boats and all these uh, cars, and you're just throwing all the parts you need to build your a, a new car, and you're selling, so you're throwing that like in the field next to a train track. Yeah. Well, that's just waste not want not. That's your that's on you now, Soviet yeah. Union. Yeah. Shame shame on me, twice on you. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, so uh so Tintin's off. He's uh he's he's going when he escapes. Hooray, hooray for Tintin. <laughs> yes. The other weird thing about Tintin is he cannot drive a vehicle for more than a few feet before without crashing it. That's true. He drives a car, he smashes into a tree, he drives a motorcycle, he loses control of that, he drives a boat into the rocks. Everything. Yeah, he may just not have the focus. Or maybe he can't see. <laughs> so maybe those eyes aren't so good. Yeah, maybe they aren't. By the way, there's one thing that I have learned about the Soviet Union here, you know. Now, was this around, Was Mussolini around at this, at this time? Well, that'd be Italy, of course. Yeah. But, you know, I think he might have got the idea of the trains running on time from this because there's trains all the time. Yeah. Like, you cannot complain about the amount of trains. Well, that might be the problem is they're not following the regular timetable, so you don't know when they'll be going through a mountain pass. That's true. That you're walking through. That's true. I'm just saying I, I'm impressed at the amount of vehicles the Soviet Union has. Yes. So they do escape, and they get to they're, – now they're in a car, and they, they steal a car uh, that a guy is repairing at the time. Yeah. So how far can you go in that car? There's so, someone is taking stuff off of it. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's working on the axle. Right. So he's working on the back end of the car, maybe doing something with the differential where the, you know, where the tranny comes into the, the back of the car. So he's doing something there. That's a pretty important part of the vehicle. That makes the back wheels turn. Sure. Pulls, pushes you forward. Tintin jumps in the car and drives off. So Now, when you get a car stolen, yeah. there's a couple of things you can do. And like you, you, know, you can go like, you know what, I'm going to let it go. Yeah. What are possessions? That's right. You know? You can take it very zen. I'm a, I'm a, so, I'm a yeah. communist. Sure. What do I care Yeah. for, for this? That's but right. this guy takes another point of view, yeah. which is, you know, uh, it's leaking petrol. I'm going to light that petrol on fire. I'm gonna blow this guy up. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to stone cold murder that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. You know. By the way, destroying my car in the process. Yeah. But I'm willing to destroy my car, which apparently I like. It's the Soviet Union. Non-possession is nine tenths of the law. Right. And murder yeah. is. Eh, what are you the gonna other do? Ten. The other ten. So percent. yeah, the guy lights uh, lights that old uh, petrol stream on fire. Yeah. And uh, what's gonna what's gonna happen now, Dave? Well, first thing that's gonna happen is that Tintin's gonna crash the car. It will. But you know what? Here's the other thing that would happen. Tintin could just drive away from that because that yeah. it can't go, it faster, can't than go faster than the car. Well, though it's a broken car. 
It is a so broken conceivably, car. Conceivably, you could run out of the petrol, and then it would. Well, then you could also run out of the petrol. Yeah. Petrol stream stops. Yeah. End of uh, your fuse problem. But no, that's not what happens. No, he passes by the horse-drawn petrol carriage, <laughs> which you see a lot, I guess, in those days. Is a horse-drawn vehicle carrying ignitable material in a big flammable tank of of uh, gas. Yeah, why it doesn't seem why, the best way to carry it around? I no, know. I guess I guess if you're like a greedy petrol, uh, you know, owner, you don't want to waste petrol on yeah. uh, on driving or advertise its use. <laughs> That's right. It's like, you don't have faith in this product. Yeah. You've got two horses, you fool. Yeah. You know, just show the person that, you know, oh, that's a beautiful car. He's driving with a petrol thing. No, he's got horses. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Uh, Tintin is driving uh, driving towards the uh, uh, Popsky uh, petrol company truck. Yeah. Which, again, here's another problem I've got. It's a whole truck full of petrol. Yeah. And the guy's smoking. <laughs> smoking a pipe. He's smoking a well. pipe. Well, what? You know. Was that back before petrol was explosive? That's right. Like, right. like, was there ever... Let's a... be fair. He yeah. was living in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Death was preferable to whatever life he was living. Okay. Was there ever a time when it was okay at the gas station to smoke a big cigar? I probably or was at one time. Because I have a feeling that the reason people stop people from doing things is when something terrible happens. Yeah. Because they're doing it. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Like, it seems like in the past... It, there would have been even more uh, sloppy spillage oh, and They're coming to arrest us, which I'd be worried about if I didn't know it was so easy to get away. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we... Listen, Dave, I'm going to start cutting some holes in some sheets. <laughs> oh, what's that? Okay, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. They're going fast. Listen, i got to cut some holes for my cats as well. i got to cut five <laughs> holes each for those guys. All right, so uh, when we last left Tintin, he was uh, driving towards uh, the petrol. And, uh, and then, well, we've moved from... Boom to bang. Yeah, the, th the th weird thing is, is that the fire not touching the petrol. Like the petrol's in, in a tank. Yeah, which you think would be a design to carry petrol. <laughs> you would think that, yeah. wouldn't you? Because I you mean, think of the one thing that you've got. Like Dave, yeah. I've got a petrol tank here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What, what should it be able to do? Explode. Get Wi-Fi. Explode. Should it? Uh, you know, should it be able to be edible in times of emergency? What should I do with this petrol uh, right. tank? Because you're commenting on the person, the fact that the guy you're driving it, driving the wagon is, or carriage or whatever you call this thing, is uh, smoking. Right. But I'm sure he would pass people walking past smoking themselves, like a guy walking on the street smoking a cigarette. It seems to me odd that if that was the case, that the whole thing would explode and someone walking past smoking a cigarette. Right. So we have a little bit of fire on the ground go underneath this... this uh, thing of petrol which then promptly explodes in a gigantic explosion i mean there's a, at least a couple hundred gallons of gasoline there right and then what happens to the guy driving the uh cars oh he just has some tattered clothes <laughs> yeah which Luckily, is you know, he, he is also a son of yeah, zeus that's right. he is immortal by the way the horses are dead like there's you do not see the horses and you will never see the horses the horses are gone the horses are ash and cinder i think they ran away but did uh, they did that is that what the creatures, horses did they're creatures of flight yeah uh, they are scared by gigantic explosions of gasoline. The other great thing is after the explosion, the driver looks like a clown smoking a pipe. Yeah, he's still smoking the pipe. It's true. <laughs> I wonder if he thinks the pipe set it off. Maybe he'll stop smoking and that will <laughs> save his life. Finally. So so this is still continuing. Tintin is still driving. Yeah. And the flame is still following him. What's amazing is that he's still driving. This is the longest he's driven a car without crashing into a tree in well, this entire story. Well, and also, Tintin ha seems to, if I'm not wrong has no comment about the gigantic explosion that occurred behind him. Yeah. Like Snowy, that will complain about a leaf falling on his head, doesn't seem to care, you know, that a, a giant explosion occurred. Yeah. So, okay, so the flames are still following him, yeah. and they go by some munitions. Yeah. 
<laughs> they go past. Now, for this some is the reason, best part. This is the best part okay, to me. Okay, because for some reason, the, yeah. the, the, the petrol decides to take a turn that, that, that Tintin didn't. <laughs> yeah. Because the whole, the whole concept here is... The Tintin's, gas tank is dripping gas. Right. Tintin is driving a car, so he could, yeah. the, it could only go over where Tintin has gone. Yeah. And yet, it, 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 it seems like he has driven over some gigantic munitions. He has not, but the flame is now going towards them. And Oh, the, no. You can see the line. It looks like he swerved a little bit there and got the munitions kind of close to the... But here's the thing. He intended Here's the to thing. Do that? These are shells. Yeah. These are shells. They are set off by concussion, not by fire. You can't. Uh, unless, I guess maybe they they got heated up for quite a while. Maybe they'd explode. But I would think it would take a while. To no, they blow up instantly. Okay. We can see, Dave. I don't think you're noticing what, what I'm seeing here. It's like the the flame just goes and uh, touches nearby. Uh, it's kind of close to it, and then and then once kabang. again, the soldier next to him is in those yeah, funny the, tattered clothes. The gun. A how, basically, a howitzer <laughs> is completely destroyed. Yeah. This giant artillery field weapon has been destroyed by this explosion of these three shells on the ground. But the guy's fine. He's just a little bit, little yeah. Dave, bit does charred. That, does anyone die in this? No one dies, right? No. No, everything's fine. Everyone's immortal. Finally, the flames have caught up. Uh, worried that they're going to be blown sky high. Ah, uh, luckily they uh, ran out of gas, so it's fine. <laughs> And then the next thing they say is, oh, we better get some gas. I know. It'd be funny if they filled up the gas tank, the flame's just waiting. Once they fill up the gas tank, the flame jumps it to the next thing and just follows the Time to go. Yeah. The flame's just at the side tapping its foot. It's Here's annoying. the flames. Start, start the car. Right. It was lucky, by the way, that they, they, they did stop just where there was a gas station. That Tintin's very, very lucky. Yeah. So, so But then Tintin has to fix the car. Yes. All right, Tintin's uh, got His the hood His car breaks open. down. He pulls out every sprocket and little piece of grommet and now, and now here's my biggest beef whatever other names with Snowy parts. in this entire story. Yes. Okay. So Tintin's looking, trying to figure it out, figure it out. Might want to go underneath the car because that's where the guy was repairing when we drove off. <laughs> yeah. Just just an idea. Uh, and uh, Tintin, uh, sorry, Snowy says to him, Tintin, you don't seem to be much of a mechanic. Hey, Snowy. <laughs> Do you remember a few pages earlier where Tintin, using garbage at the side of the road, <laughs> built his own car yeah. and you showered him with praise? Yes. Listen, fair weather. That's our Tintin. Le- yeah, yeah. Listen, fair weather friend. Mm. Yes. Pick a side on this one. He's a genius. If he can't fix this, then it's unfixable. <laughs> Only it's nothing to do with the engine. It's a flat tire. Why would a car have a en- motor breakdown because the tire is flat? I don't know. It seems kind of odd. It's, yeah, and the other strange... guy, the other guy had. Well, no, it's not just a tire because it was clearly leaking petrol. It was, but uh, but but this is a different thing entirely. I mean, leaking petrol, you can still drive. You're just going to run into gas quickly. Yeah. But but here's the thing: he stop, The car breaks down. It stops. It stops yeah. working. He doesn't know why. He gets out, starts looking in the in the motor. Yeah. He is so concerned what it is. He starts taking the entire oh, engine apart. Oh, and the joke is without any tools. The actual problem is the tire is flat. A simple fix: set a change it to the spare tire. But there's no explanation why the why the car broke down, like why the motor stopped running because the tire was flat. Well, there's no way. Unless for it was him. a safety feature. And there's no way for him to blow up that tire, except oh my gosh, here comes a guy walking down the street, and he wants to fight him. <laughs> so Tintin trips him. Yeah, just just to start a fight with a guy. Do you know? There's times when I'm reading this that I feel like I'm reading King Cat. Now, why don't you explain what that? Oh, is? The, you know, the John Porcellino. Yes. Uh, he draws in a very very plain. Uh, 
white, you know, black and white style with this a very simple white line or black line on white on a white background. Right. And there's parts in here where it just feels like, oh, this looks like so much like King Cat. That's an interesting point. Yeah. And by the way, if anyone doesn't know what King Cat is, it's very well worth looking up. So anyway, here's how you blow up a tire, by the way, if you don't have access to, say, a pump. Yeah. Wait till a big man comes down the road. Trip the big man. Yeah. Start a fight with the big man. Run away from the big man. Yeah. And when uh, the guy is really winded, uh, put the tire around his head. And stick the stick the uh, pipe in his mouth. Yeah. Uh, he will then inflate it with his breath. Totally. Not die from that because <laughs> he can't breathe. Yeah. No, just uh, do that. He will blow up the tire and then you'll be able to have an inflated tire. I guess his tongue has some sort of small thing to press in that little <laughs> yeah. the little needle that's inside that needs to be depressed in order for the air to go in. But Of course whatever. he does. He's a Soviet. <laughs> now, here's the other thing. It looks like Tintin kind of, like the guy seems to be having a real rough go of it. But once he's blown up the tire, he seems uh, completely fine. Everything's great. <laughs> Tintin puts the tire on. Drive. Off he drives. Yeah. This is, you know how Tintin was a good guy back when he was uh, feeding the homeless guy? Yeah. This is Tintin being a bit of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this but, guy didn't pull a gun on him. This guy yeah. was just minding his own Bolshevik business. He was going, he was uh, walking down the road thinking of things that are red, uh, you know, <laughs> wanting to share his goods with others. Yes. And uh, Tintin just picks a fight and makes him a human pump. <laughs> yeah, there is, like I say, this is not the Tintin of, of later stories. It's a real sense of, uh, yeah. Entitlement? A callous, kind of, a callous, <laughs> yeah. you know, very uh, supercilious bully yeah. in, some, in some ways. Fair enough. Okay. So uh, he has to now show... Uh, he's now in Moscow. Finally. Yep. It can be unveiled. Uh, meets a guard asking to show his passport. Mm-hmm. Now, as we know, this is going to go well. Yes. Right? Everything's fine, right? Showing a passport? Of course. Yeah. Let's see what happens. So he shows his passport. Oh, no. Papers aren't in order. <laughs> yep. You're going to prison. <laughs> and to the gulag with yeah. you. There you go. And yeah, They can... They can they can transport they have to transport gas by horse drawn buggy but they have uh, cars they can take people to prison in that's uh that's fair right so this a, bl- is, a black Mariah I imagine like uh, if Tintin had like a little card like you'd have at Subway for you know uh, your fifth t- trip to prison you get it stamped and yeah. you just get out free <laughs> yeah he'd be getting his stamped this, about now this was his chance so he gets kicked down the stairs uh and 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 but here's here's the thing that bothers me is like he's he's now up against a brick wall and he's uh there's a grid a bunch of iron grid yeah and he's there and he's looking out and he's seeing there's water out there what's he gonna do well you were in this situation once again just a few seconds ago maybe a sneeze because <laughs> that, that knocked down this exact yeah. situation yeah do you before. have hay fever yeah now we can bring you uh, you know some co- cottonwood mm-hmm. to sniff that in and again, I love I love things like this where, and I guess it's the passage of time, but where you just throw someone in prison. Ah, get in prison, and then uh, I'll immediately, come on, hurry up! The prison governor's waiting for you. Yeah. Well, why just shove me in prison? Just yeah. to show it to me? And right, now you're back. Up I think and- I think time passed. He, he's not obviously. Uh, he hadn't discovered the little caption to say, you know, two hours later or the next day. Or that whatever. would be terrible if it said like five years later. Five years. And later. just like you know, yes, he does escape, but it takes a lot out of him yeah. to do it. So uh, so he goes up. This is the weirdest part. What you think this story. is the weirdest part? Well, no, this is not the weirdest oh, part. I'll, I'll point it's out. Certainly I'll weird. point out. All right, you you show me the weirdest thing that's on this page. We're going to look at because uh, why don't you describe the page? Well, I just think it's just a weird idea that you know he's going to be tortured. They need to get. I don't know why they're torturing him. They're going to get right. information out of right. him. Right. They have at whatever when you get to Moscow. When you get to the border. Yeah. Patrol. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Is this it? Uh, they they catch you and then it's uh, it's time for torture. And I guess this. 
kind of met uh, met a, a stereotype of the, of that time period, which was the idea that the Chinese were the worst had the worst tortures okay. imaginable. There's just no way that you could stand the Chinese water torture or whatever, right? Right. Though it so, looks like that would be the best one out of everything in that room. <laughs> in that like, room. if you look at this picture, uh, yes. you know, hey, folks, if you're looking at home... Uh, but doesn't it seem weird to you that he's 70. taken... So he's yeah. taken out of this Russian, you know, prison. He's yeah. been put in there. He's taken to this torture chamber, and it's a couple of Chinese guys. <laughs> like, in full Chinese guy costume. Yeah. But not dressed like, you know, By the way, if regular you, Joe. If not, like, just like other Russian people. If you're people. thinking... If, okay, here's the thing. If you if you have never read this book before, and you're just going with our descriptions, yeah. uh, picture a Chinese stereotype from the 1920s, 1930s. Yeah, yeah. Picturing in that, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Yeah. If you're thinking of the Pigtails? point... The pointy hat, no, they're not wearing that. Why? Because yeah. they're indoors, and they're polite. That's right. But everything else that you're thinking... Uh, this... It's a real mix because they're kind of wearing Japanese costumes. Oh, there, yeah. There's a lot of but, there's a lot of things going on. But here. the thing is, like, you got a rack here. We got like a we got a floor a floor thing with a whole bunch of spikes sticking out of it. I mean, it's it not entirely like, it looks crazy. Like there's but... probably blood on the floor. I'm not sure if that's blood or or just someone spilled their lunch. But or soy sauce. Yeah, they might have just had sure. lunch. Yeah. The thing is, like in in, this, in Russia or the Soviet Union, you know, in north in southern Russia, there's lots of Chinese people because there's the border. The borders were drawn, you know, politically, not by racial, you know, type. So yeah. there's tons of, there would have been tons of Chinese people. So it's not impossible that there was a Chinese person who was an expert at torture for the Ogpu. Right. What's impossible is that he would have been dressed like a Japanese person from the 18th century. Right. You know? It's just a mix them up. Now, you tell me if in this torture chamber that I'm looking at, yeah. is that a human head in a jar? Or is that a mask that you'd put on a person then and torture them? Because there's a head in a jar on the floor. What would you say that is? I I'm kind of thinking it's it's an Iron Maiden distant down in the corner. Like you don't see the full the full. Uh, You're just leaving your Iron Maiden shape. head on the floor. No, it's not. A, no, no. It's just you don't see like the other uh, paraphernalia they have down here. Fair so enough. it's a full standing, full you know, it's a full floor model. Yeah, and I like that head they got. By the way, they got two torturers. Yeah. You know, just on the hope. That someone will have to be tortured that yeah, day. Yeah. You know, the, you got those two guys there on staff. There. What are they made of money in this in this place? My favorite. What I like is that okay, you have these various torture devices. You know, you have various forceps and pliers and and whatnot, pincers and things like that to yeah twist things and then a mallet and then and then some sort of uh, whips. And then you have a sword. Like, what do you torture someone with? How do you torture someone with a sword? Like, what is the torture? You cut off parts of their body. Yeah, that's not very effective. No that's a good point. Chop off their head. Yeah. Now he'll talk. So uh, Tintin's got his hands tied behind his back, but otherwise mm -hmm. it's the honor system. <laughs> just let him in there. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. And so uh, and so uh, one of the fellas uh, says, we'll begin with the red hot poker. He bends down, butt up in the air. Of course. Listen, by the way, here's a tip. If you're fighting Tintin at any point, do not put your butt up in the air <laughs> yeah, or something's going to happen. So anyway... And, and also, I don't think you start with the well, red hot... Well, Irish was educated by Catholic yeah. priests. So. Dave, listen, yes, I'm no torture expert, mm -hmm. but you start with the red hot poker? You <laughs> yeah. don't build to the red hot poker? You yeah. start with That's it. That's the start. These guys, are, these guys are hardcore. You start with the red hot poker. Where do you go from that? The sword. <laughs> so, anyway, good for Snowy. He uh, bites the guy's butt. 
pulls him back, and he sits down on the spikes. Yes, and uh, that, and he goes full. That's a into, weird one. He goes full onto the spikes. The, the he, spike board, like sitting on the floor, like someone had dropped it there and forgot to put it away. <laughs> like the the supervisor must walk in there every day and go, like, how many times do I have to tell you guys put away the six inch spike well, board? What it looks put like, away the six inch spike board. It looks like the stereotypical thing where you have uh, the Indian man who's lying on a, a board yeah, of nails, yeah. but he wanted an ottoman so he could watch TV as well, and so it's just this little spiked ottoman <laughs> just yeah. off to the side yeah so anyway these these folks are also they are speaking chinese they uh something you know yeah they can speak uh perfect english but yeah. they are speaking when they scream they scream in chinese yeah, uh, and 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 when they really scream they scream in musical notes <laughs> which is kind of funny i guess it's pretty good holding his butt running uh, and then uh, now it's time for uh, for the other guy to be taken down. Uh, the one guy's not concerned with his friend and his injuries, just saying, vile dog, you'll pay for that. Yeah. And Tintin goes, well, now it's my turn to save Snowy. Uh, has been ignored. The guy's turned his back on the human man yes. to deal with the small wire-haired terrier. <laughs> yes. Bad mistake. Uh, Tintin grabs the poker and, again, sticks him in the butt. <laughs> so, you know, it's a lot of butt-related uh, things. As I say... Hergé was educated by Catholic priests. Right. So the border guard is listening at the door and going, that's good torture. Can't tell the difference between a 15-year-old uh, Belgian boy and an elderly Chinese man screaming in agony. Maybe one tip is, he's screaming in Chinese. Yeah, that's right. That's Maybe right. that's not what well, happens no, when... Well, he was singing. No, well, yeah, but at this point, he is clearly screaming in Chinese. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah, that's good, good work, border guard. Good to, <laughs> border good, guard. You know, good work. And by the way, you know, are you taking any fresh fruit across the border? Are those bananas? <laughs> We're going to have to take those bananas. So, uh, Tintin forget, pretends he's exhausted. Yeah, I like, uh, I like that. He comes out of the Close the door quickly. Close the door different. <laughs> yeah. On his own reconnaissance. Yeah. So, here's what's happened. The, to the Your hands are untied. Yeah, and the border guard is seeing, like, all the. Let's call him the Let's call him the, the jail guard. Jail guard. Yeah. Uh, who's well, but he's a guy who was at the border stopping people asking for passports, and then no, no, he wasn't. He was just in Moscow when he came, came arrived to Moscow. Oh, it's a different guy. Okay, yeah, so yeah. sorry. Uh, so uh, so he's waiting outside. Tintin comes out, uh, hands untied, on his own reconnaissance. Does not ask how things went with yeah. the torturers. Yeah. They're fine. Yeah. Dog's worry. fine. Dog was not yelping. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tintin seems not burned, even though he was getting clearly <laughs> yeah. burned. Yeah. It's fine. And, uh, you know, and uh, the guy kicks Tintin in the bum, uh, sends him back to prison. But what's best is, had enough, sir? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, he's a, he's at a massage, like a spa. Have you had enough, sir? Yeah. Would you like some Ready? cucumber water? Get like those fluids up. Get those electrolytes. You know how was your how was your torture, sir? If you could just fill out the survey card on a scale of one star to five, how was the service? Mm, okay, very good. Should we have started with the red hot poker? Because it seems like we shouldn't have started with that. Did they give you the sword? That's extra. So uh, yeah, so he gets he gets kicked into prison. And then now, now explain this to me. Why is this? You explain this to me. Why? Why is there a deep sea diving <laughs> yes. suit in a, in a prison cell? Right. In... So in the time that he left his prison yeah. cell, yeah, someone has put a deep sea diving suit in there. <laughs> a deep sea diver got arrested. He got undressed. He has been taken to Siberia, leaving behind his deep sea diving suit. That is the only. That is the, the only, only explanation. explanation. Yeah. Other than at some point, this was a storeroom for deep sea diving equipment, and they didn't clean it all out when they turned it into a jail cell. Right. It seems like when you've got an underwater prison, yes, 
Uh, the one thing that you don't want to supply your prisoners with is mm-hmm. a deep sea diving suit, because that really <laughs> takes the edge off the yeah. problem of being underwater. Yes. Luckily, yeah. they did, and everything's fine. So he puts on the deep sea diving suit with yep. a full tank of air. <laughs> yes. Starts chipping at the walls. Yeah, which is weird because deep sea diving suits did not have their own. No, did not they have their didn't own, have their own. Air they had a hose that ran to a pump. Uh, you know, a stationary pump that in a boat or wherever it might be. You're right, but that would not work so, in this situation. So he is breathing his own air. So he's got limited oxygen before he starts no, going into his fix. I think there's a tank on the back. Oh, I guess there's a tank, but it makes no. Well, maybe there were tanks. I don't know. So, uh, so Tintin has to. Okay, here's what Tintin has to do. He has he has taken one brick out of the. Who's Eric? Could there be in that tank? There's a lot of problems with okay. this. Here's here's another physics problem for you. Yeah. Uh, he's taken the brick out of the wall, mm. uh, and and he is waiting for the entire uh, prison to be uh, filled with water. Yeah. Uh, Snowy is in a little trouble here, right? Because <laughs> Snowy has to wait till it goes all the way up to the top. Then he's got to like let make Snowy swim, I suppose. Yeah. Pull Snowy back down, and then throw Snowy out through the thing. Otherwise, this ain't gonna work for Snowy. Anyway, yeah. he throws Snowy out. Uh, then he starts moving more bricks. <laughs> like, like how? How are you moving these bricks with yeah. the rest loosened by water? <laughs> yeah. Like, ah, uh, you can't even sneeze. Well, anyway, let me tell you something that happens here. He looks at a fish, and that fish has a little question mark next to it, made of <laughs> bubbles, because yeah. he's going, "What's up with this? <laughs> What's going on? What's the deal?" <laughs> Says the fish. What's the dealio? Anyway, so <laughs> luckily, look, like if you at some point went. One of the guards is going, I'm going to let him be free. I'm going to give him a suit to yeah. do this. Yeah. That makes him... Well, but here's the other problem. Yeah. So the tortured guys, like uh, the torturers, uh, one guy just got like hit in the butt. The other guy got hit in the butt. Yeah. They're not dead. Did, did, did Tintin knock them both unconscious? Like, won't they just come out of the room and just go, he's he's not hurt at all? Yeah. Let's get him? Yeah. You're like, but but they but then they do and they're like, oh, no, no, he won't. He won't be... Uh, he won't be any trouble. I left him in there with a with a diving uh, equipment. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll play with that for a while, and he'll be distracted, and then we'll torture him it's later. It's fine. It's fine. So anyway, uh, yep. Uh, Tintin escapes, uh, comes out of the water, and scares some people. And then we have uh, once again the classic, oh, once never to, never to be repeated. Oh, it was repeated. Uh, using empty cl- empty clothes to fool. <laughs> the guards in this case he has the empty diving suit with the the helmet on top the heavy deep sea diving helmet on top of an empty diving suit and it's able to support the weight well what he's done it's is amazing he's, he's filled it up with the remaining air from the tank oh okay so like a balloon he's yeah. uh, he's done that one also uh people are generally scared of diving suits so yep they shoot and they charge after him and oh oh boy you know they uh they they got away good for them they're hiding in the weeds good for them and more beatings. <laughs> Look, yeah. at a certain at, at a certain point, you just go, "Yeah, he's gonna escape everything." Oh yeah, I'm not worried about this guy. I, this you, guy's got his act together. You stop worrying in this because you just realize it's just an endless. It's an endless. It's just Tintin in the land of boobs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, these guys, they're evil, and luckily they're dumb. <laughs> he's defeating people that have guns by throwing rocks at them. <laughs> And uh, then whistling happily away. He's fine. Everything's great. Yes. So now we're, now we're getting uh, back and we're going to have a little uh, political statement, it feels like now. Time for some politics? Yep. And this is, oh yes, this is this uh, sequence where, uh, I imagine this was probably taken from the book as well, because this feels like this little moment of reality kind of creeps into the story of, of uh, deep sea diving costumes hidden in prison cells. So we have a, you know, some sort of commissar uh, giving out 
bread to children, to starving orphans. Good for them. Good for them. Indeed. All right. Feeding the kids. And they're using bread, not just those crummy bananas. (laughs) Yep. And then... The kids are so sick of bananas. Oh, my God. You know, at some points they go, like, here's some bread. Is it banana bread? (laughs) No, it's regular bread. It better be. Kids are uppity. But here's the thing, though. In order to get bread, you have to be a communist. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or just smart, which this kid isn't. Because you see, he can't be the only one who said this. Because he says, are you a communist? The kid says, yes. He gets a piece of bread. This kid comes up and says, are you a communist? He says, no. He gets kicked into the street. Gets nothing. Yeah. You think that they would all know that that was what the response would be, and they would just say, I'm a communist, whether they were or not. That's a good point. You know, uh, I saw an election earlier where it was a communist election. Yeah. Just aimed guns at people. Yeah. 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 This kid's getting off light. <laughs> if he was uh, voting, he would have yeah. been shot. But luckily, he just gets kicked in the butt. Well, yeah. I mean, into the street. This is nothing. He could be wearing a deep, deep, deep sea diving suit in a prison cell. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So then uh, Snowy steps in and he steals a loaf of bread. Well, well having, he pulls uh, a real. The real Jean Valjean moment there. Yes, that's right. And then he gives it to this poor, starving, not communist boy. Yeah, and then the uh, and the boy goes, "Thank you. This has been in a dog's mouth. That's fantastic." <laughs> hey, bakers can't be choosers, literally. <laughs> that would be a mean thing for Snowy to say. But you know what? The nice thing about that is that Snow Snowy actually does something nice there. Mm-hmm. That's great. And Snowy helps a poor person, and unlike Tintin, yeah. does not have the tables turned on him. Yeah. You know, you want to see at this point the little beggar boy takes off his mask and, re- and goes, I'm the commissar. That's right. And, and then, re- uh. Reveals he's wearing a deep sea diving suit. <laughs> I'm going to leave you in this prison cell with just this jet pack. Now, there's no roof on this. So, off you. Okay. Uh, so then we get to the. Uh, <clears throat> this is another kind of true political part here where there was a. Uh, there was a, um, prop- a propaganda campaign against what were called kulaks, which was a term that was designated to, from what it originally meant, to to describe the wealthy farmers. And so there were farmers that were not willing to give up this land that they'd, that they'd farmed their whole, their, not, their, not just their lives, but their parents' and grandparents' and great-grandparents' lives had farmed this land. And if they were hard workers, they had made something of themselves. They were successful gentlemen farmers. And this campaign was mounted against them, and the land was... They were arrested and taken away, and the land was confiscated and and then turned into the uh, cooperative farms and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of envy. So people who weren't hard workers, hadn't made success of themselves, could turn in their turn in their neighbor as a mm. kulak and take the land for themselves. You know, and so it was this huge campaign that kind of accompanied the the forced the enforced famine. You know, there's a I can't remember the name. There's a journalist who once said that where there's a free press, there is no famine. You know, because there's always enough food. The only reason there's a famine is because someone is forcing, yeah. isn't you know, is forcing people to to die of starvation because they're not giving them food, and so that's exactly what was happening in the Ukraine at this time. But rather than the government being responsible for it, you'd blame you blame a boogeyman, you blame the the, the kulak, and so the sequence kind of refers to that that campaign. A terror campaign that was started by Stalin. Yeah, it feels like at this point, like the last couple of pages feel like almost a political cartoon. Yeah. You know, and then and then this one, the drawings of people around the table, they look like caricatures. Yeah, they're more kind of realistic than than the other kind of right. The kind of George McMahon. We're leading looking, into uh, it with um with Tintin uh, for the second time wearing uh way too large clothing and nobody noticing. Yeah, yeah. And just walking by. This fifteen year old boy wearing a giant fur hat that looks like a lampshade. Yeah. Let's just say everyone else but Tintin in this is dumb. <laughs> like, like just dangerously, dangerously stupid. 
they just stupid. And then the 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 answer to the problem. I mean, the answer to the problem of running ahead, warning this this farmer that the the army is coming to confiscate his his corn and having him hide his corn in a pill in a pillowcase. This is not really an answer, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're a successful farmer, I assume you have more corn than it would fill a, a pillowcase. Well, and the other silly thing is, if you've got a pillowcase, you've got the makings of a ghost costume, and we can just take care of all this. <laughs> we can scare. Well, there's not enough pillowcases for all the cows in the farm. Oh, that's right, because that needs. Oh my gosh, you'd need a little hole for each of the uh, uh, the other. Yeah, all the teats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. That's a lot of that's a lot of scissoring. So, so now we've got. So now so we. Tintin gets captured. Again. Oh, okay. Tintin's captured again, and it looks like uh, it's it's time for Tintin to uh, get in, in in the firing squad. Yeah. Well, now, how's Tintin going to get out of this one? Well, he's not. Is he dead? They shoot him. Oh, no. He falls to the ground. And this was the end of Tintin. I guess this, this was, was it. This was the last this issue was the of last, Tintin. This was the last one. And so, 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 by the way, is, is so am I getting this right well, then? Well, this was the last one until thir- next Thursday. Well, let me just say, so so what happens then is his brother, who we've mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, takes his name. Totor, yeah. Totor, changes his name to Tintin, Tintin to yeah. avenge his brother's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he disguises himself as him. And just goes on in his place. Is that what that what occurs? Uh no, because it turns out mm-hmm. he had enough foresight to take the powder out of the uh, cartridges and replace the bullets with cardboard. When did he have time to do that? Uh, while well, he was running to the farm <laughs> to warn the farmer to hide his corn in a pillow sack. Right now, do you need any tools to do that? That that doesn't seem to be the kind it of thing seems, you can do by yeah, hand. That you also, have to have a pair of pliers to empty out all the, the powder from the cartridges. Right. Also, you've it would got, take a you, while. You need some a cardboard, mm-hmm. and you better like get all the powder out, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if just one of those has yeah. enough powder, yeah, the cardboard they're all could aimed also, at you. The yeah, the cardboard, by the way, could also hurt you. Could yeah. also hurt you. Yeah. Anyway, Tintin survives. He does for a little because while because he is the son of Zeus. For a little while, but then he. What's great? He go so basically he ends up going out into the Russian steppes. Mm-hmm. And so this was actually based uh, by, this wasn't based in, in Moscow Unveiled. This was, uh, he drew this from uh, a children's book called General Durakin, which was written by this lady named the Countess de Segur. And it was kind of a popular children's story about her, her memories of her grandfather. And, uh, and, so, and so he kind of took those kind of magical kind of children's memories of, of, of this place. And then he kind of, Turns it into a bunch of tomfoolery. Okay, but so like we a- ended with with uh, like Tintin freezing by a snowbank and then getting thought out by some guys having a fire nearby. <laughs> and then when they see him, it's well, it's a thousand years later. Yeah, and uh, and uh, there is no more communism. Yeah, right. He, no. <laughs> then they see him, and then they're you know, of course, they're mad at him, and then another fight breaks out. Of course they did. And so yeah, it's a quite a long, quite an elaborate. Uh, bunch of slapstick yeah running from them falling down a hill turning a into a snowball yeah all the things that you'd go all the things that a kid would come up with if you're like you're in the snow what are all the gags and this he freezes yeah. he turns into a snowball he hits another tree and this kind of calls ahead there's this uh, actual actually this exact same sequence happens in tan or tintin in tibet so we'll see we'll see that later on we'll see this uh, this kind of similar joke played out again well so it's, a, it's a good joke. It's a classic. Having, having a, someone in a snowball roll down and hit a tree. Now, here's something that I have a little bit of an issue with. Okay. Okay. So the next thing is they're, they're down a tree and they run into a bear. I don't know if it's a polar bear. I don't know if it's a regular bear. I can't tell because it's a black and white comic. Yeah. Could be either way. Yeah. But they get the beard. Don't like, think it's a polar bear. Okay. They're fighting. Tintin's fighting a bear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Now, and using, by the way, almost all the same moves that he used on the other guy. Yeah. You know, Tintin's got this one move, which is, I'm going to dive into your stomach with my head. Yeah. Perhaps that little curve he's got, like in his hair, yeah. really gouges your stomach. And so that's a good move on his part. Sure. But he's like, he's not just wrestling a bear. He is punching a bear and doing quite well. Yeah. Doing a good... Doing well, the bear is surprised. Most people don't go for the attack. Mm -hmm. Most people go for the runaway. So he's a little shocked that this guy has gone for a completely unusual strategy. Right. And now, am, am I wrong? Yeah, here's, here's my problem. The bear talks. Well, the bear gets drunk. Yeah, the bear gets drunk enough that it can now speak English. And the bear says, oh, here's a tasty snack uh, uh, to, about Snowy. And that's yeah. what just really uh, steams uh, Tintin's clams. But wait a second. <laughs> well, I don't are think Tintin can understand the bear. Wait a minute. So are you saying yeah. that just Snowy can understand the I bear? I don't think either of them can understand the bear. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I got the feeling that... I think uh, the bear is just talking to himself. Oh, okay. He's just going growl, 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 growl. No, this is where I had a problem, was just all of a sudden bears can talk. I'm like, I can start to take Snowy talking, yeah. but if now everything can talk, all the animals can talk, I got a, I got an issue here. But yeah, It's Christmas Eve. Tintin okay. uh, fights and beats up a bear. Yeah. But it was a tough struggle, and you can tell that because his pants are ripped. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe the bear was using the same method of fighting that Tintin usually does. Yeah, his pants are ripped more often than Magic Mike's. <laughs> Okay, here's the here's the thing that I like about that. What's that. I hope I hope over time people will come back and listen to this podcast. Okay. And the more they, the farther in the future, the yeah. more out of date that reference will be. <laughs> like it's already. By the way, he's making dated. that joke. We're we're recording this dated. in early 2015. Mm -hmm. So that joke already is the bloom. Magic off Mike the is coming out coming out again. Okay. There's, a, there's a Magic Mike two coming out. Sure. There's also another Tintin movie coming out. We'll mm -hmm. talk about one of those two things in the future. <laughs> So uh, they light a fire, and uh, what happens next? Well, what I like about the fire is, first thing, it's impossible, because he's using a gigantic... I mean, it'd just be impossible with a piece of wood that big to get the friction to, mm -hmm. to create a fire in the other log. He just fought a bear. He can do it. Uh, he fought a bear in one. Yes. A hungry... Well, to be fair, a drunk bear. Yeah. Let's not be fair. So Let's Tintin fair. falls in the water. Yeah. Through the ice. Yes. Climbs out. Freezes again. This freezes. is the second time. In the most terrifying he is frozen way. Frozen stiff. It's terrifying how he freezes though too. He he kind of looks. Well, he's like a he's he like climbs a out of the water. precursor to the to the uh, Ice King from Adventure Time. Oh, I thought you were going to say the final scene from The Shining. Oh. Either way, picture yeah. someone frozen to death. Yes. That's what we're looking at here. Yeah. And then, well, here comes a, another soldier. Uh, will this be a friendly soldier? <laughs> nope. No, he's not. Will he thaw him out? Nope. Just ties a rope. And drags his frozen, what should be corpse, yeah, uh, along. No, don't really know, you know, why, but he's he's dragging him. But then, luckily, as always, uh, we find uh, good old Snowy. Yes, Snowy. Uh, it's very commonly found in the steps, just laying around. Was a bag of salt. That's right. That's the first thing when you think of the steps. You think of the Russian steps, you think bags of salt, mm -hmm. right? So he finds. The commonly laying around, we've already established that they're everywhere you, find, you go over there. Bag of salt, and then pours it onto Tintin, and it melts the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I gotta say, the nice thing about this is, if you're looking at it from a scientific point of view, it's it's a nice lesson to teach kids. It's like, hey, what, what does salt melt ice? Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah. If you ever get covered completely in ice, what do you do? Get your dog to go get a whole bag of salt. Yeah. Bring it back. By the way, if you've got high blood pressure, this is not a good thing to do. <laughs> then just cover yourself in salt, and you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, well, don't lick it off when you're done. And while all this is happening, of course, the uh, guy dragon, uh, Tintin, does not notice. Yeah. Until yeah. he turns, and once again, we get the giant question mark. Mm-hmm. So, if you are following along, take a drink. There's two question marks on this page alone. 
And now it's time, again, for a fight. Um, now look, I understand that the guy here is all muscly. We almost have a Raiders of the Lost Ark type thing, where yeah. the guy takes off the shirt and it's time to battle. Yeah. And I get that, that he has just almost froze to death twice yeah. this evening. Yeah. But he did just fight a bear. Like, <laughs> I've got no... Uh, he fought a bear. Yeah. He's fine. Like, I don't feel this guy's got any problems with fighting a human man. Yeah. So anyway, it's time for a fight. He's throwing, he's throwing him around. Uh, good old Tintin, who is now not fighting well. Yeah. He's just yeah. not. He quits. He just, I give in. I quit. I can't fight you. Now, you can uh, almost call it cowering. His... Yeah. He cowers. Once again, this is a guy who fought a bear. Yeah. Ducks. Yeah. Guy punches a tree. And uh, the limb of the tree falls on the guy's head. Yeah. That takes care of that. <laughs> Sometimes you need a hand. Yeah. I think that was divine intervention. I think so. I think so. Well, I, the whole book is divine intervention. Yeah, pretty much is. The hand of Zeus all over. And so he strips him nude, <laughs> puts on his coat, yeah. and leaves the guy to die in the yeah, snow. It's whatever. You know what? Fair enough. Yeah. Hypothermia. Yeah, the guy was dragging him along when mm -hmm. he was all frozen. Mm -hmm. It's lucky he doesn't feed him to the bear. <laughs> so, yeah. There he goes, tries to get on the horse. Horse ain't having it. Yeah, so we get here. There's another sequence where you get a very cartoony-looking horse, and then you get this one little, you know, bit of photo realism where it looks like he's, you know, used um, some sort of photo reference for how a horse looks when it's... Well, Dave, it's I don't know if you know bucking. this, but horses are hard to draw. Yeah. No, I know that. Do you? Yeah. All right. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, in this sequence, but you could, it's very cartoony-looking, and then you get to this one panel, and it's very realistic-looking. You go, ah, had a picture of that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going along, we're going along, and... Uh, is this maybe the weirdest part of the book? This is the part of the book that feels like a Fleischer cartoon. Yes. That feels like all of a sudden we've walked into Bimbo's initiation. Okay. okay. You know? Yeah. This, is, this feels like uh, there should be some Cab Calloway playing in the background. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, he wanders into a, a house. Yeah. And uh, what does An he An old see? shack in the middle of the steps. Right. Opens he up. wanders into this, and it's kind of creepy. It's explain, kind of a creepy ex old house. how to our listeners. Well, it's kind of creepy. The fact that there's a there's a clock that's it's ticking. Mm, it's ticking yeah. away. What, what's uh, creepy about a ticking clock? That's what clocks do. But there's no one There's no one in this house. Hmm, all right. Keep going. How, who's winding the clock? Uh, maybe a self-winding clock. We did just see a no. guy. Uh, Stationary clocks are not self-winding. Okay. We just saw a guy like try to uh, drag uh, him along and uh, you know, it's very muscly. He might have been living there. It's nothing wrong there. Okay. So, and then what happens? And then he sees in the... Fireplace. Yeah. What is happening? Oh, there's skeletons. There's skeleton heads. There's some skulls inside the uh, pot. Okay, so... So he's walked into a witch's house. Right, so he's... Yeah, I mean, this is as bad as it gets. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm assuming this is a cannibal. That's all I can think. It's oh, I like, thought it was a witch. I thought it was Hansel and Gretel were the... No, no, skulls. then the house would have been made of candy. Oh, that's right. That's right. Delicious candy. Uh, that's, by the way, if you're looking and seeing, like, am I in a witch's house or a cannibal's house? Yeah. Here's a tip. Taste the walls. If they are made of sugar, yeah. you are in a, witch's house, in a witch's house and find the nearest bit of water. Let me write this down. Yeah, and if they, if it's not, you're in a cannibal's house okay. and you're going to die. <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah, you shouldn't, a, yeah, if you're in a cannibal's house, there's a house, bunch of skulls. You'll you, you will find yourself in the water. In a pot. Mm -hmm. It's, that's harsh. Yeah, it's harsh. And so, and then he opens up like the, uh, he opens up the clock. Yeah. And there's a skeleton inside. I don't think he opens it. I think it opens itself. When it the, opens When the clock its... chimes, a skeleton pops out of it. What? Why would that happen? What's the point? Like, I get the, I get the other thing. It's like it's a cannibal. Yeah. All right. So he's because you know what? Sometimes you don't have enough to eat out here. And well, I just have a feeling that the person who owned this house worked in the film industry, 
I just had a lot of props lying around. Let's hope so. I just wanted to, you know, kind of put something together. Because the guy in the clock is is, uh, chained up. So it was a guy who was in there for a long time, died, turned into a skeleton. And now this guy has made him into some morbid cuckoo clock to scare who? Yeah. Like, and and again, the last guy we saw in this area was that guy with the, you know, beautiful chest, who is a wonderful fighter, uh, who's very strong and looks well fed. I assume that was the cannibal. So I am quite glad that he left uh, him out in, in, in and the snow to die. Yeah, this it's just completely creepy. And 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 it's yeah. so creepy that the, you, Snowy is not wise cracking through this. Yeah. Snowy is just losing his mind. Yes, he's scared. Yeah, he's completely well, scared. Tintin's scared. Tintin tries to leave and he goes to the door and he realizes that it's too the weather's too bad outside. It's right. just horrible and he cannot go out into And you would weather. think normally Tint uh, sorry, Snowy, I keep saying uh Tintin when I want to say Snowy. Snowy uh, would be good about this whole bone situation and just go, Well, what are you gonna do? A bone's a bone yeah. in a snowstorm, yeah. eh? And That's then right. start chewing on the guy's leg or yeah. something. But no, it's good for Snowy not to, not pulling that off. So uh, then you're hearing uh, something coming from the floorboard, and it's yes. saying, You are damned, O stranger. Mm. That's harsh. Yes. You intrude upon the kingdom of the dead. Your last hour has come when you enter this house. So are we now in uh, just a haunted house at like a like an amusement park? Because that's what it sort of sounds like at this point. Well, what's, stra- <laughs> what's strange is that he hears this noise. Yeah. So he decides to investigate. So naturally, he tears up the floorboards. Well, with his bare hands. Well, he's read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. With his bare he's hands. He's looking now for the telltale heart. And then he finds b- buried in the floor a Victrola, <laughs> which requires someone to wind it in order for it to play. <laughs> Look, we've established it's a self-winding clock. It's a self-winding Victrola. What's your problem right. with this? Whatever. Yeah, this yeah, you're right. The Victrola does not make a lot of it's sense. It's a lot of nonsense. Yeah, they uncover a metal ladder uh, leading down to the cellar. Into a vault. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and this uh, is truly evil. Right, well, Snowy goes, don't go down there. It's very dangerous, or too dangerous. What are you going to do? You're up here in, like, uh, Skull Land up yeah, here. It's yeah. terrible up there. That's right. Which so, is safer? So you go down into this bunker. Yeah. And, uh, and there's it gets a... pulled in a door, once again, Scooby-Doo style. Yes. And uh, he is knocked unconscious. This is, again, so... If you've ever seen Bimbo's Initiation, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty good, like, Max Fleischer cartoon. But that just completely reminds me of just people getting pulled into doors and horrible things and skulls and skeletons. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's, uh, he's knocked unconscious. He's knocked unconscious, but luckily for him, Snowy can dig about 15 feet, no problem. In a couple of minutes, he's covered that, that, that time. Yeah, wait a second. Now, now, Tintin has gone down into the cellar. Yeah. Snowy cannot leave through the front door. We've established yeah. that. And you think that it's all these big like brick walls with yeah. steel doors. You would think they would have a concrete floor, not a dirt floor that a dog can dig through. And even 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 that that a dog can dig through? Yeah. Like that that far? Yeah. yeah okay. Well, anyway. Because it's gross. Like all the bugs and stuff like that would be crawling around if you yeah. had a dirt floor. And he's a real fussy dog. Oh, he I'm would fussy. not like that I'm anyway. I'm fussy. He busts, if, uh, Snowy busts in and busts him out. And we have another little, you know what? Uh, Herge is, it needs a break. And once again, we get a little blackout scene. Yeah. And we got like some scenes where just like yeah. nothing's happening. It's have, all in the dark. He must have been busy that week. So he didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. Absolutely fine. So in the dark, he, uh, Tintin uh, knocks out, knocks unconscious or leaves in some other way uh, discomposed. He leaves about, what, 10 guys? Yep. And then it's time to go. <laughs> yep. That's but they right. don't tell us that the reason for this vault is, uh, oh, I guess... The reason for the vault is that it's all the uh, it's all the stuff they're keeping away from the people. So they're starving the people. Yeah, they're starving the people. This is where they keep all the bananas. Yeah, this is where they keep the bananas <laughs> and the caviar and all the rest of it. 
And the bread. And the bread and toilet paper, all the oh, other things like that. Jerks. I like, and then uh, he uh, we, hides himself in a room uh, that's full of explosives. Well, this is standard Warner Brothers Looney Tunes mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. You hide, and then you light the match, and then you look behind you, and you see it's the TNT, and then kaboom. But nope, we're not having the kaboom yet. Uh, yeah, we are. Well, wait for it. Uh, what happens is you look behind you and go like, everything's going to be fine, I think, because I don't have any. Oh, wait, what's Snowy doing? He, like a lot of dogs, is uh, smoking a cigar. You know, there's nothing a dog likes more than smoking a cigar. So, uh, so he does. He smokes a cigar, and there's and 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 Snowy learns a lesson, which is don't smoke. Well, he thinks it's a cigar, but it's actually a fuse uh. that he he puts in his mouth, and of course, then he's exploded. Snowy's exploded, so then he has to get bandaged head to toe. Yeah, mummy style. Yeah, mummy style. And he's really hurt. Now, the surprising thing about this is we know one thing about Snowy, and that is that Snowy, one, can survive an explosion. Yep. We had that on page two. Mm-hmm. He can have a bomb explode right next to him, not a scratch. Yeah. We know that Snowy can go into the engine of, of a train yeah. that we could throw him into the coal, on fire, shoot him up through the pipe. Uh, he, all he needs is a little rainwater. Yeah. Clean that guy up. He's yeah. fine. He's fine. That he needs, in this case, to be bandaged head to toe. Yeah. That is a horrific injury. Yes. That's quite, that, that is quite so an explosion. terrible. That, that is, is the worst. That is uh, that would kill that wasn't, a village. That wasn't a simple explosion that like destroys a train. No. That's nothing like that. Or it's not a fun explosion that destroys a petrol truck yeah. and leaves a guy with smoke in his pipe. Yeah. That's not this. Yeah. This is an explosion. This is serious. This, this is requires critical. first aid. This yeah. requires a light bandaging. From head to toe. From head to toe. Yeah. So that you can't walk. Yeah. Basically, you become a parcel. That's right. So he's okay. So anyway, uh, you know it's still hurting because even, even when he's all bandaged up, he goes, ow. <laughs> and also he says, boo-hoo, I'll never do it again. He learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. Listen, kids, don't smoke. Don't smoke fuses. <laughs> Whatever you do, especially just, if you're just refuse. A dog. That's the uh, that's the propaganda. That's the message for the commercials. Just refuse. So it's time for uh, it's time for Tintin to put on another costume and and fly a plane and to go yes and to to try another form of uh, transport mm-hmm. because uh, what the heck why not and so he, he he flies this for quite a while right how long do you think like if I was if I was reading this as a kid yeah I'd think like. Uh, I wonder how long before Hergé forgets that Snowy is wearing bandages and just, like, draws him normal. I wouldn't think that as a kid. Really? No, I wouldn't pay attention to that at all. All right. I was never a detail-oriented reader. I'd miss a lot of that stuff. What I would do as a kid, I would take I would take comic strips that I liked that were uh, serial comic strips, yeah. and I would put them in a little book, and I would paste them in there. Okay. And then I would go back, and I would read them later. Mm-hmm. So I would see, you know, things that... Uh, it was like, hey, wait a minute, Casper was wearing a hat in this one, yeah. and then later he's not wearing a hat. What are we supposed to believe? He lost his hat, and so on. <laughs> that was the kind of kid I was. Not fun to be around. <laughs> so uh, Tintin gets in the, the old airplane. The plane, he's going flying. Flies, flies for a little while, and then he crashes. <laughs> Because because Tintin is the best driver in the world for fifteen seconds. <laughs> fifteen seconds. And then I can play a flame. I can play a flame. No, I can. Uh, be fair. He got struck by lightning, lost control because the the uh, propeller got destroyed by him landing, <laughs> lands nose first into the ground and yet walks away. I yeah. love that. And good for and and by the way, once again, Snowy horribly injured already. Yeah. still fine. Still fine. In fact, it sounds like he's under the ground. It sounds like he's in the ground. The way his board balloons, it seems like he's you know stuck. Yeah, so anyway. t- yeah. Snowy's only problem is that he stinks of petrol. <laughs> they they write the plane. Yeah, but the propeller's broken. Right. Tintin scolds Snowy you... and says, "Listen, you you must always obey me from now on. Stop doing the opposite of what I say." And uh, and and uh, head bowed, 
In remorse, uh, Snowy <laughs> says yes, Tintin. Yeah. So then Tintin, because he realizes the propeller's broken, he does the, the most obvious thing that you can do, besides walk. <laughs> yeah. Is he cuts down a tree with a jackknife. Yeah. A whole tree with a jackknife. A whole tree. Yeah. Cuts it down with a jackknife. And then carves <laughs> a propeller out of a tree. Not once. Not once. Because he got it wrong. He gets in the plane and it goes backwards. It goes backwards. Does he think of turning the propeller around? No. He cuts down another tree with a jackknife. Another whole tree. And makes another propeller yep. that goes in the right direction. Right. Oh, my gosh. And it doesn't explain to you... By the way, it's wintertime, right? We've established that, right? He is in the Russian steppes. Yeah, so it's winter. So these trees, these yeah. aren't. These are pretty solid trees that have been frozen in wintertime, too. It looks like he carves through the night, and then it goes backwards. Then he carves again. Yeah. This time he gets it right. The weird thing, I think I, what was, when I was reading this, I was wondering to myself was, how does he make, make it so that it, it connects to the, the shaft of the engine that's turning the propeller? Like, you know, it can't just be round because then it would just spin uselessly yeah. and not turn. So he must have carved like a, a square ho hole that would fit onto this piece on the shaft sure. for the motor. Why not? Well, that'd be what's pretty... Your, what's your problem with that? It's kind of tricky. Is it? Well, I guess if you do it twice, you can get it right. Absolutely. Practice makes perfect. It's not that hard. Absolutely. By the way, you starve to death while you're doing this. This was two days worth of whittling with no food. Yeah. Your dog's dead. <laughs> your dog has died in this yeah. amount of time. Okay. Once again, he has a leaking petrol tank. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, no one's around to light the petrol lamp. Also, fire. yeah, Snowy is completely covered on, in petrol as well. If anyone did light something, Snowy would go up, you know, just yes. like a the human torch. So then he, uh, he ends up landing in Germany. Okay. Where he's mistaken for a, a famous pilot who's who's uh, flying hemisphere to hemisphere. Right. So that's... A famous pilot who's a 15-year-old boy. So, Chris, at that time, famous pilots were a thing. You know, we've all seen the Marx Brothers monkey business where they... Or no, sorry, uh, Night of the Opera, where they escape from the boat by pretending to be a famous, a quartet of... I don't remember Or a that, trio of famous uh, fair, aviators. Fair enough, okay. It's a, quite a famous sequence. And then, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of celebration. A lot of celebration. A lot of top hats that really look like they were aboard from the set of uh, Bringing Up Father. Yes, that's true. Probably exactly copied the way that they were done. Yeah. Then. And then he has a night... He Wait, is up, he drinking? Yes, he wakes up with a terrible hangover. He's 15 years old, right? In, yes, but it's Europe. And embodied by the mallet smacking him on the head here, which must mean hangover. Okay. And then... Is Snowy he, drunk as well? Uh, Snowy? Yeah, Snowy's drinking. <laughs> Snowy says, good, eh? He's Canadian. You're right. And Snowy is now is now completely out of his bandages. Yes. Well, he had two days of that whittling to, to deal with his pain. Well, no, uh, uh, Tintin took his bandages off before they flew the plane the second time. He just left one on his tail. It's a little bit on his tail. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and then... Very fast healing dog. So then we have some more traveling sequences. Right. Okay. Travel, travel, travel. Escape. They get put in, he gets put in jail again. Oh, yay. They never okay. learn. Nope. They never learn. He's in jail. This is my favorite part of the story. Well, okay. I keep saying this is my favorite. This is another part that I really enjoy. Yeah. Which is a tiger sequence. Oh, it's great. Because one is... There's a mysterious tiger that's just being kept in this prison. <laughs> like it's a castle kind of place that ha naturally would have a tiger. Yeah. It makes sense. But not only does it have a tiger, it has a tiger skin. <laughs> yeah. I guess a previous tiger that got old. Well, or to teach the... All right, listen. If you're going to train your, your first tiger, sure. or second tiger, yeah. you go like, hey, you know what? This tiger didn't listen. Oh. And now he's a skin. I thought you'd teach it by having a small baby crawl around in the other tiger 
suit and then no, they imitate. No, I'm saying just go oh, like, look okay. what happened to this jerk. And then oh. the, the, the new tiger goes, okay, boss. If and it, the uh, new tiger behaves. If the tiger understands consequences, I guess that's fine. So, so then Snowy disguises himself as a tiger. So then there's two tigers. Right. We've got Snowy disguised as a tiger and then the actual tiger. Meanwhile, uh, they finally learned they have Tintin chained to the wall with two uh, ball and chains attached to Well, Adelaide. good for them. You know what finally you don't do? Stop giving them the method to escape. Yeah, finally That guy it. can escape with a sneeze. And you for, know? But what I, what I like is that the tiger yeah. doesn't recognize that Snowy's... This is a dog in a tiger suit. Like, he has no smelling capabilities, I guess, and his eyesight's pretty poor. Well, the tiger has been kept in a prison for so long. You don't know what kind of life that tiger had. He's in the prison. He is in the castle. He's like a pet. Yeah. That comes down to the prison. Well, and And then prison, scares the people who own the pet. A is castle is a prison to a tiger. You know, a tiger wants to go round, uh, run through India. You know, he doesn't want to be in a castle in Russia or Germany. Or where is he now? What country is he in? Where are we? Do you know? I think we're. I think we're in Germany in this. There, sequence. he doesn't want to be in Germany. I don't know. No it's tiger to wants now. to be in Germany. He's messed up. This book was a bit of a blur at this anyway, point. They, I see. They they look at each other. They can. Uh, they see each other, and they uh, almost do a little Harpo marks, you know, or thing yeah. in front of the mirror. Yeah. yeah. There we go. And then they have a little bit of funny animal business with uh, with uh, Snowy losing half of his costume. Well, Snowy it, gets really cocky. in a bear trap. He, he co- uh, Snowy first of all becomes very cocky. Yeah. And now he's got a little uh, taste of power because people <laughs> think he's a tiger and they're yeah. scared. Yeah. But then, yep, he loses his uh, he loses half his costume in the bear trap, and now those animals, yeah. they're having a good laugh at that guy, <laughs> yeah. and they're all laughing at him, and he's really I've embarrassed. Never, I've never seen a happier cow. Yeah, that donkey is really really laughing. You got a happy duck. Yeah, you know, a couple of uh, looks like some geese there as well, having a good time. Yeah, it's nice that all these animals are living together and having a good time. It's really it's like the Bremen Town musicians are, are chasing after him and laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that they follow him. They don't just let him wa- wander off. And well, laugh. animals are jerks. They just follow him laughing. This is the funny thing. It's just so funny. It's endlessly funny. So then uh, he comes back, and uh, for some reason, someone's dropped the keys about. <laughs> A foot away from Tintoon, who can't reach them. He can't well, use his feet. Thing. He can't use his feet to reach out and and grab them. Well, this is a, this actually could be a dick move on the part of you know the guards, yeah. right? Like this could be like in Snow. It's, they're taunting him. Well, it's like yeah, they're they're, they're taunting, taunting Tintin. Tintin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like in Snow White. You see, like uh, there's a prisoner and he's reaching. He's just a skeleton. Yeah. By this point, he's reaching for a thing of water, and yeah. she just kept it a little bit out of the way because sure. she's a jerk. Yeah. And he didn't realize, take off your shirt and just, like, hook it with your shirt, you idiot. You're wearing a shirt. Anyway, it would have been an easy fix. Yeah. Anyone could see how to do that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and so they're doing a little of that. By the way, if you ever talk to that guy from Snow White, you let him know that you can get the water pretty easy. It's not hard. <laughs> He's not nude in that thing. So, uh, yep, they just left him in there to have death by starvation. By the way, he, I, yeah, I guess he did eat at the party, so he's fine. Yeah. And then... Uh... So Snowy, they escape Snowy, from that. Snowy gives him the keys. Berlin is 15 kilometers away. Pretty happy. Yep. Pretty excited. Who wouldn't be excited? Gets to uh, Germany, where people are kind of giving him the, the once over. A few, I guess, German stereotypes. That's who's meeting him. Some stereotypes at the old. Has a huge meal. Yeah. And Has so a does nice Snowy. Meal. Great meal. Only the, the uh, I guess, the, the bellhop, the usher. I don't know what you call the guy. The, yeah, bellhop. What is he? Bellhop. Is evil at the hotel. <laughs> well, you, you know why? Because Tintin didn't tip. 
when he came in. <laughs> tip. You know why? Because a lot of people in Europe, they don't tip. Yeah, that's true. And then other places, they do tip. And if you don't tip where they do tip, well, then you're going to turn your bellhop evil. Yeah. And, and then you got what you got coming to you. So, uh, yeah, bellhop uh, chloroforms some flowers. Now, I've seen chloroform being used in films yeah. and television shows. They usually put it on a handkerchief and hold the handkerchief firmly over the person's mouth. Right. So they have to breathe it in and eventually go under. Because otherwise you walk into the room and go, what's that smell? I should leave this room. Yeah. 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 But uh, tin, neither Tintin nor Snowy, a dog, do that. Well, what, but here's the thing. Snowy saw him pouring the thing. So Snowy's like going to investigate. So mm. so Snowy actually, it makes sense that Snowy's going to the flowers and checking it out. And then Snowy, he's out. He's out. And then Tintin, he's getting sleepy. Yeah. But... He just opens a window and he's fine. He's <laughs> oh, what a relief. What a what a cliffhanger that was. <laughs> it's pretty and then he plays dead. Yep. Fools the guy, knocks him out, ties him to a chair. Gives him the old uh tin tin beating, which includes, of course, shredding his clothing. And the very always popular McManus black eye. And bumps on the noodle. The jigs black eye that you get from plates being thrown at you. Yep. And then let's just get to the end here. It's pretty much all the same. Yeah, it's all the same. And then more of the same, and then more of the same, and then another train, and more of the same. Yeah. And then Tintin arrives. Back in Brussels. Back in Brussels. Wait, Br- Brussels? Is that where he started? Or you mean Belgium? Well, in Brussels in Belgium? Oh, of course you're right. Sorry about that. Yeah, there you are. That's me being dumb. So uh, so it's like everyone basically in Brussels has showed up, uh, holding a sign, uh, one's holding a sign saying, Long live uh, Tintin and Snowy. Good for them. Good for, for them. For knowing the dog as well as in there. And they're all cheering for him. And then they go, hey, so where are all those photographs? And then he looks, I got to go back. And then we start the whole story again. Well, what's interesting is at the, when they finished Tintin in the land of the Soviets, it was decided at uh, La Petite Vendiam that they would, they would uh, have an actual Tintin arrive at the station. So they announced oh. in the paper that Tintin would be arriving at this time on oh, this wow. day. And they, they hired, a little, uh, hired a young boy, a 15-year-old boy. He was a Boy Scout. He was hired to play Tintin. His hair was greased so he could have yeah. the quiff. Did they have they, a, a fox terrier? They got a fox terrier. They had to dye it. They had to bleach his hair because mm-hmm. fox terriers actually have markings. So they had to bleach off the, the markings. And then they, uh, he arrived at the station. And, uh, and now everyone thought they didn't know what was going to happen. They could have just had the boy arrive at the station to an empty station. Yeah. So he kind of went a little bit, a little ways out of town, got on the train at another state, you know, before the station. Yeah. Came back into town, got off the train. And it was this like hundreds of, or thousands of thousands of people, kids were there. Because they did this on a Thursday. Oh, So it was wow. a school okay, holiday yeah. day. School day off for the kids. And uh, yeah, it was just packed. Just packed with kids. And and it was like so busy, like such huge crushing crowds. And what happened, like this lady gave this baby to this, boy, this Tintin actor or impersonator to kiss. And then the crowd moved and she got swept away. And so he was standing there holding this baby. And he's, you know, he's kind of like, what's going on? But then this other movement came and she came sweeping back in and was able to get the baby <laughs> before she disappeared again. Hopefully and, it was the same woman. And say, so, yeah, they pushed, they pushed their way through the crowds and they got into this uh, Buick that one of the uh, one of the people the paper had borrowed from his dad. And then they drove, uh, it was because it, it was a convertible Buick. And so they he, they sat and they drove through the town back to the offices at Le Petit Vantiem. Vantiem and then he went up onto the, up and stood on the balcony and made a speech that no one could hear. Yeah, because there's just too many people, and it was just there's no you know no way to. Then a police officer came, knocked him unconscious, dragged him away, <laughs> threw him in prison. He came back two minutes later. Went, I'm absolutely fine. Everything's great. <laughs> and then and then there was a horrible explosion on the balcony. He was absolutely fine. Things yeah. were good. Fine. The uh, other interesting thing was 
during the run of Tantan in the land of the Soviets, uh, the, story, the, the strip was taken up by a French uh, kids' uh, weekly called uh, Courveillant, Cour, Brave Hearts, I guess, or Valor's Hearts. And, uh, but those, the, the editors were worried that, that the people reading it wouldn't be able to understand what the word balloons meant. Mm. So they returned to having little text underneath, and Hergé was very mad about that and tried to make them stop doing it, but they didn't for that, for that anyway. Eh. Yeah. Boo on them. Boo on them and their misunderstanding, those old fuddy duddies. That's a great way to end things, though, is like with the, with the kid and the speech. And the, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Now, did yeah. that happen on the same day that Tintin arrived in the paper, or was it the week after? I'm not too sure. I don't know if they had it timed that well. That they if they had the it timed day. for the same day because it comes out on a Thursday, yeah. that would be fantastic. That would have been great, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. go, ah, I'm part of it. Oh, that's very funny with the baby thing as well. Well, uh, so what have we learned from, from this Tintin? You're saying that this Tintin is not like the other Tintins. We are now just kind of getting through the sort of the pre-Tintin stage. Yeah, so I was going to say, so the, the final, the, the story was finished May 8th, 1930. Okay. Do you remember when I said that when he started it? I do not. January 10th, 1929. Okay. So the story ran from January 10th, 1929 for for over a year to May, into May of 1930. So that's, yeah, that's impressive. Took a while. Yep. It's a pretty long story. It's and how long, long was it until the next uh, Tintin? The next Tintin story was actually completed or was it was it serialized? There, yeah, it was also serialized as well. It was also serialized. When yeah. do we get to the stories that are not serialized? They were always serialized. Really? Yeah. So every one of them just appeared in the, every, in the newspaper. It appeared for a few. Well, they appeared in that newspaper for a while, and then then there were some changes, but they always were serialized. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, they were published after they were serialized as as albums. Okay. It's always been like that in 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 uh, Fran- like French comics, like particularly Franco Belt, like was, Spirou. Was that the case with Asterix? Yep. They yep. appeared in what the newspaper first? In Pilote. Okay. Yeah, they would have been in Pilote and. Uh, and then, well, all of them, whether you like the, the Smurf stories, uh, you know, Spiro and Fantasio. Here, here's where I find that weird about Asterix. Lucky Luke. I remember when I was, when I was a kid, they, uh, and again, I was a big fan of Asterix. They would yeah. then, uh, they translate Asterix back to being a comic strip in North America, but yeah. then redid all the names and well, redid a lot of yeah. the jokes and, and what have you. And it's just interesting hearing it wasn't that a comic, it was originally. It wasn't a comic strip, though. It would be published as a, as a full page, right. two pages. Per week, right? Uh, like, or, like the spirit was, except the spirit was more pages than that. But the that spirit was, was a full story, answer, and, the, yeah. and it was a full story. That's true. Okay. With these, where you're just getting two pages of the story, so there'd mm-hmm. be a cliffhanger, and you had to wait a week. Okay. And so, so like, if you're reading Spirou, for instance, you yeah. would have, you'd have like Guest on the Gaff, which would be like a one-page, uh, you know, gag strip. But then you'd have maybe uh, Spirou and Fantasio. You get two pages of that. Mm-hmm. You'd get two pages of Yokosuno. You get two pages of whatever, you know, whatever you want to say, Benoit Brissifay, or whatever was running at that time. And so you'd, you'd get all these little chunks, and then you get like the, so you get like the kind of funny cartoony ones, and then you'd also get the serious ones, like Buck Danny and Largo Winch and all these weird named right. serious, you know, the, the realism, the Buddy Longway, and there's all these other kind of westerns and stuff like that that were very popular as well. And those were two pages as well. But they were drawn in a more realistic style. So you'd have a mix of styles, and you'd have a mix of content, but every one was two or three pages long. Okay. And they would continue week to week. So every week, Spiro would come out or Pilote would come out or whatever. And you'd go and buy it and you'd get to read your one or two pages of your comic, each one. And then next week, the other ones would come out. Now, uh, when the... And then... Okay, go ahead. I just want to say, there's Please. two ways they collected them. One was 
and I have I have a couple of these at home. One was they would do like a year or maybe a quarter. I'm not too sure how they did, how how much there is, but they would do like a quarter of all the the spiru would be collected in a hardcover book. So you could you could read all the spiru, you know, in the same way they came out week to week. You could just read like those stories that way, or they came out as albums as well. Okay. But not every story was popular enough to become albums. So some stories would only run in the in in spiru. And you could enjoy them there, but they might not be popular enough to to be worth collecting and, and publishing. Now, when uh, you know, when when you read, say, uh, "Cigars of the Pharaoh," and you yeah. read that that book, yeah, uh, does it say in the beginning uh, originally collected in so and so, or does it just go, "Yeah, this is this is its own thing," and there's no yeah, clue there's, to, no yeah. clue to its origins. Yeah, no, they don't talk about that. Okay, either. well then that explains why I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't say that at all. Yeah, yeah, no, because we don't we didn't live in that kind of culture. We would have a hard time, I think, as North Americans used to the 30-page 30 30-page 30 comic or 24-page comic mm-hmm. that has a kind of a complete story, maybe with a cliffhanger or, or a part of an overarching saga, but has a complete story, a longer story. Like for us, I think two pages at a time would be very difficult for us to So, So something like, uh, let's, let's go something like Cigars of the Pharaoh. Um, they're all the all of these books are basically the same length. When you the collections are the same length, were they were these stories generally the same length? We can we can talk about that now if you want. We can talk about it later. Well, this is a really long show, by the way. Yeah, just so you know. But oh, um, well, people know. Okay, because they're listening. Okay. We can we can actually you so, know what we can we could probably wrap you know we could probably talk about that a little bit later on because yeah. there's there's many many things. I'm just I'm just really interested because this is all new to me. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I can talk about it if you want. I have no problem with talking about it, but because. <laughs> Because I'll just say this. Okay, go ahead. Talk these, about it as much as you want. These stories were very long. All these stories, the Cigars of the Pharaoh, and Tintin in America, or Tintin in America, and Tintin in the Congo, they were all very long By the stories. Way, if you want to call them Tantan, that's okay. It's hard. But uh, the um, what happened was well, a couple things happened. One was there was short paper shortages during the war, so when they were collecting these older stories, they couldn't publish the lo- these long, long versions. So they were all cut down to a uniform sixty-four pages. So all the the scars of the pharaoh, like it lost a lot of a lot of filler was lost when and and so it actually made them better as stories. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes out a lot of the really crazy stuff and and this kind of gets the meat of the story and, and all those books. And so it's kind of fun to read the facsimiles that are longer, but the albums as produced by by uh, Hergé are better and some of them are redrawn as well. So you'll find like with if you're reading Tintin in the Congo. Or the Blue Lotus, they're drawn differently than the Cigars of the Pharaoh, because the Cigars of the Pharaoh was redrawn uh, sometime in the fifties for whatever reason. Oh, okay. can go into that at the time, and same with the Black Island. So it's quite a different style than the Broken Ear or Tintin in America or the Blue Lotus, where the style is much uh, the old, you know the the young the young Hergé before he before he reached the the you know the great skill of the kind of when we get to the shooting star and Red Arachim's treasure and stuff like that, even the crowd with the golden claws. But just you know, as as he got a lot better and and as his assist, assistants changed and stuff right. like that, and and he had more people working with him, the the detail got a lot different. So cool. okay, but we can talk about that as we, we go. We will talk about that. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna wrap this up right now. Uh. I'm not gonna apologize for the length of the show because it, when you're downloading the show, you see how long it is, <laughs> and it's uh, you know it's a choice. That, you, that you've made. We're not gonna. We're not gonna apologize for that. Uh, our completely Beatles shows went long too. Yes. Our, these kind of shows do tend to go long because you know we do. Uh, but we would love to hear from you and get your feedback. Again, we're new to this. So yes. This new is our to first doing show. This. That's right. 
Uh, you might be going, hey, less of this, and hey, more of that, and that's absolutely fine. You can write us uh, at our Sneaky Dragon uh, website. Yep. We're at sneakydragon.com. We have a message board there. You can click on there and uh, leave us a little message. You can also go sneaky D at that sneaky and then the letter D at sneakydragon.com. You can, we also will probably have a Facebook page for this. Yes. I would assume. I hope so. This seems like the kind of thing we do. We should. We're all new to this. Anyway, uh, and we'll figure it this seems, out as we go along. It seems to rigor. Listen, if you want to come along for this ride, we can all be in it together. We'll, uh, we'll do that. And, uh, and yeah, thank you for uh, giving this a try. And if yes. you uh, want to hear more of our voices, we also do the Sneaky Dragon podcast. So there's that. And if you care about the Beatles, uh, our Completely Beatles podcast is still available on iTunes. So give that a listen to if you feel like it. Yes. There you go. Anything else to say? Nope. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you so much. I've been Ian Boothby. And I've been David Dedrick. And this has been Totally Tintin. The first one.